drug abuse costs you and your fellow Americans at least $60 billion a year. <laughs> okay, oh, well, we're yeah. live. <laughs> we're here, we're out here. We're, we're here. out here with the uh, Drink It Out of Cups podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. We've got an exciting one today. Um, I am here. I'm your host, Raven. I'm here joined with my co-host. Micah. Uh, and your boy, Ryan. We out here. <laughs> uh, today, we're talking about fentanyl, the most exciting drug. Just kidding. It's uh, terrifying. It's an absolutely terrifying episode today. We are talking about fentanyl. Uh, the brand name. This is the first drug we've talked about that is an actual legal pharmaceutical. So you may have known it from the brand names Actic or Sublimase at the hospital. If uh, you've ever received fentanyl at the hospital. Um, the street names for it, I kind of question uh, because I personally have never purchased fentanyl on the street. So, and don't really even think about it too much. So, all the street names I found, slang terms I found online, and a lot of them I can't, I could immediately dismiss as not real. Uh, like White Girl, they tried to say White Girl was a street name for fentanyl, which is clearly a street name for cocaine. If you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I also found out China, China, they put uh, China White, which is heroin. <laughs> it's not fentanyl. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> heroin. Um, yeah, but the okay, so the street names that might be right, well, people call it Fent, just shortened, but that's obvious. And then I, I found Apache China Girl, which I could maybe see that one being true, and yeah. then TNT. Okay, but wait, how, wh- why the China uh, girl? Because for the most part, it is brought in. It, th- there are places in like South America that c- have the ability to make fentanyl, but even then, they order all of their chemicals to make it from China. Right. And yeah. So, and for the most part, from all of my research, what I could find is for the most part, they're actually just ordering a lot of fentanyl from China to South America. Yeah. So I could see yeah. China girl. Yeah, China yeah totally. Yeah, there's there's one oh. street name I found off of the uh, I think it was off the DA website that was called <laughs> Dance Fever, which is like the complete opposite what? of Dude, what I fentanyl saw is. <laughs> it's Dance like what? Dude, I saw it a lot. <laughs> I was I was yeah. so confused. Every even the DEA's website lists Dance Fever as a uh, street name for it, which I'm, makes no sense. Well, I'm curious. I wonder why. Like, I wonder how that came up. Like, Maybe who first called it that. Maybe it's it's supposed to be opposite, you know? Like, it's like a joke. Like, oh, this is dance fever because it just knocks you the hell out. Well, it was a, uh, you know, TV series game show back in uh, 79 to 87, 80s pretty much. So What was? Dance Dance fever. Fever? Really? What? Yeah. Oh. So, no idea how that has to do anything with fentanyl. (laughs) um, If any of you guys know, please let us know. We'd love to find out. Yeah, Yeah. hit us up on Instagram. Have you ever bought dance fever before? Yeah. Do you know anyone that's suffered from dance fever? Right. <laughs> yeah, hit us up on Instagram if uh, you've ever heard someone call it uh, fentanyl dance fever. Yeah. yeah um, there's, the, but, there's two more street names that I thought that were really funny that I wanted to bring up too. Uh, oh, yeah. Hit me with them. Great Bear, which is uh, what? It's weird. I don't know why they would call it Great Bear. <laughs> bear. Well, I know that H is sometimes called or heroin. Sorry, guys. It's sometimes called horse. Weird. What is it called? I don't know why. Horse. Sometimes people will call heroin horse, but so maybe Weird. I don't know why. Maybe bear is hard hardcore, way more worse than horse, you know. So they're like 
Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other I one know. I uh the other one I saw was Tango and Cash, which is weird. Tango or Kango? Tango, tango like Tango that's... like the dance. Like Tango what and What is up with these dance <laughs> names? Like, <laughs> dude, no one does fentanyl and then goes it's... to dance. Like no one gets energy from that. <laughs> it's almost like the government I mean, maybe wants if you're us insane. To think that fentanyl like is fun. New party drug, fentanyl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, essentially that's, I mean, kind of, because a lot of people, a lot of people like take like opiates and shit in like social settings these days. And so like, do they though? Maybe. Yeah. It's such a social setting when everyone's nodding off and freaking not talking to each other. No, but I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, all right, never mind. (laughs) Okay. So uh, fentanyl itself is a synthetic opioid similar to morphine, but at, it is 80 to a hundred times stronger than morphine. Uh, opiate, opioids, opiates, opioids. Uh, I, there's a small distinction. I got most of my information out of a nursing drug textbook that had the distinction between opioids and opiates. It has a lot to do with the synthetic aspect of it. So an opiate is more natural, I believe, and an opioid is more synthetic derived. Uh, anyway, so opioids are derived from opium, which is naturally found in opium poppies. There are a ton of different opioids that range in all kinds of potencies and dosages. With morphine being an incredibly potent one at a milligram level that is used for extreme pain cases, fentanyl is far, far more potent than that, uh, being administered typically on a microgram level, which is insane because a fatal dose of fentanyl administered like orally can be as low as two milligrams. I don't know if you know for scale how little that is, but it is small. Well, yeah. So like one milligram is a thousandth of a gram. Yeah. So like a gram of marijuana, you know, buy it from the store potentially in certain states. Ten bucks. Buy it from the store. Yeah, it, from this <laughs> and if you compare the the lethal, the fatal dosage of fentanyl being around two milligrams, compare that to heroin, which is about fifty milligrams. That's that's like scary because you think heroin is like super lethal at a tiny amount. So think about just a small fraction of that amount of pure fentanyl is deadly. Yeah, well, especially someone that does heroin a lot that's like, oh, I could do, you know, I'm going to do a bigger hit this time than I usually do or something. And then turns out to be like right. a lot of fentanyl in there. Like, dude, yeah, that's fucked. Then you're hella <laughs> yeah, fucked. Right? That was like the biggest like like uh, killer, right? For a lot of our celebs and, you know, musicians and different people was like, um, n- you know, doing heroin mixed with other drugs, right? Yeah. But it yeah. was like back then it was just heroin. And so like, you know, maybe you lived, maybe you didn't, but nowadays, like, heroin isn't just heroin. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Which is so fucked it, up. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that a little later. Um, I, yeah, I have a lot to talk about that later. <laughs> uh, so, fentanyl is, like I said, a pharmaceutical drug that is used in hospitals, uh, but it all is also used a ton illegally as a street drug. Uh, like Micah just said, replacing heroin, uh, what people used to buy as heroin has slowly become more fentanyl, even when they think they're buying heroin. And yeah. many hospitals 
around the world are having to become way more strict with the usage of fentanyl. A lot of the times it's in a patch, so they can really like administer that correctly. And, you know, they're not really messing with dosages. It's super precise. But other times you can get it in an IV bag. And with, if you've ever been in a hospital, when you're getting an IV, it's just open. Like you could touch the IV bag. So now if people are getting a fentanyl, IV, they'll have it locked in like this plastic cage. Like they're Jeez. getting really strict and uh, being super careful with it as they should be because uh, people have went into the hospital and tried to, uh, my girlfriend was telling me that a story of someone trying to drink the IV fluid. Holy fuck. <laughs> of, like Dude. biting this. The, so they're- Holy shit. It, so the popularity of fentanyl has made even the hospitals become a lot more careful- when um when using it uh damn so, well, so yeah, and, uh, sorry i was just gonna say as well that uh you can also get in lollipop form yeah so um i'll talk about that too ah, uh you, you you can get y'all yeah, talk about like the different ways it's kind of administered but uh i just wanted to dispel some myths really quick and that, uh, one massive one is we are going to talk a lot about how fentanyl is deadly. It is an absolutely deadly, scary drug at such a small amount, almost like you wouldn't see it if it was on your coffee table. Like you you would think it was like maybe a little speckle of dust. That's the amount that can kill you. But the big myth that the news has played such a large role in is that they have made it seem that you can die from being in the same room essentially as fentanyl. Wait, with, really? Um, with one video I want to reference in particular that shows an officer trainee who is going into overdose within seconds of a drug seizure of just like a small baggie. And they tried to say that him touching the baggie was so potent enough that he immediately started to overdose and they had to give him Narcan. Whoa. What probably happened which I can't say for sure because I wasn't there. I'm not the guy. What probably happened was not that because it is not that potent to where if you if you get it on your skin, enough of it on your skin, it has to sit there for a while. It can kill you in that manner, but it has to sit there for a while. Yeah, like, It's not sense. just, you can't brush up against something and start overdosing, at least not from fentanyl to that level, street level fentanyl. Um, and I just want to, kind of clarified that that officer kind of throwing them under the bus here. He probably thought it was cocaine and probably tried a little bit of it or something. He um, probably didn't know. Well, that, that's, it's either that or Micah has a really good uh, uh, view on what may have happened. Yeah. I think that it's super possible that, you know, these uh, law enforcement officers are always learning a lot about fentanyl. Right. And, it a lot of what they're probably learning is about all these like in, incredibly terrible things that happen, right? Like they hear about all the ODs, they hear about kids dying, they hear about people dying that you know maybe shouldn't have. Which I'm not saying people should die, but like a lot of the, the a lot of the overdoses with fentanyl are accidental, and I'm not saying that um, you know all overdoses are not accidental, but I would say that in that world of drug use, there are some that are, and there are some that aren't. Um, anyway, with that, I think that. The there's a possibility that with the amount of information that these guys are learning at the beginning of their like you know police training when they learn about fentanyl, they're 
learning about how scary it is, how potent it is, how, uh, you know, deadly, fatal, and all that it is. And just think about it. If you've learned about all these things about something, but you've never actually come into contact with this thing, um, you're very likely to end up having this, like, predisposed idea of what it's going to do. You know, we're, we're all like that. We watch a movie about something and, like, 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 you know, the, the cartel, right? And then we suddenly think that we know about the cartel and right. how it works. But that's not true. And so I think that for this person, it, it's possible that having learned about it so much and it like sort of induced this anxiety response in them, right? So that when they, maybe they saw it, they had an actual like psychosomatic uh, response to it, which turned into like a panic attack. Placebo which, overdose. Yeah, placebo overdose, right? <laughs> ah. And I think that a lot of the times panic attacks can definitely look like some kind of overdose, right? right? And a lot of the times people think that they have had a heart attack or some kind of really like fatal thing happen to them when they have a panic attack. So I think it was possible that the dude literally did just get so scared based on what he thought that it could do to him. And he ended up having what looked like an overdose. So on camera, it's a great way for the police force to be able to go, hey, look, this happened and spread even more misinformation, which so they're that's incredibly the, good at. That's the huge issue. Well, with what you're saying, he, him being a trainee, that's likely. So, Because like, if maybe it was his first time ever encountering it, and maybe when the test came up positive that it was fentanyl, he freaked out, had a placebo overdose, like you were saying. Right. That is very yeah. possible. Um, but the bigger issue then in lies with the news. That video was spread as this officer came in contact wearing gloves with fentanyl, and it caused him to have an overdose. That is the issue. The news is the major issue here. I'm not blaming the cops for anything. I'm not, I, I kind of assumed maybe he may uh, like ingested it or whatever. I, I don't know. Cause you can't, you can't be sure with this because what, what they're saying is fake. It's not yeah. lethal on that level. So what the news is saying is fake. So we can really only kind of like from a bystander's view, kind of maybe make assumptions of what maybe really happened. But all I'm trying to get out there is that what the news said was fake and they have spread massive amounts of misinformation, probably to scare the public uh, because obviously the news sells fear. That's the that's how they make their money. They're, no one's I mean, going to yeah, watch it. At, it's just roses and happiness all the time. Yeah, look at what happened with COVID. I mean, like so much misinformation was spread about COVID from the news and right. I mean, not that I'm saying COVID is fake or anything like that. You know, that's not at all. I'm saying I'm just saying during well, you're this not whole pandemic and like <laughs> you, you're anti-mask <laughs> and unvaccinated, right? Oh, dude, on God bless. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that's going to keep on me jaw. safe from COVID is Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's 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 uh, uh, one. That's the major myth I wanted to kind of just dispel is a lot of this stuff. You do your own research. Um, grab a actual medical book and read about fentanyl. Educate yourself. Uh, don't watch the news for your information. It's huge. Don't just learn about things in a proper manner. Myth number two, um, that fentanyl is being used as a cut inside cocaine. Uh, probably from what I have researched. It's probably not true. People are dying from cocaine that has fentanyl in it, but most likely it is from cross-contamination, not from it being used as a cut because why 
would you purposefully kill your client base? It makes no sense whatsoever. Why would you purposely poison someone you're making money off of? So what is probably happening is uh, it, it being such a small amount, they're making massive quantities of each drug simultaneously, probably like sometimes probably in the same buildings. So what's probably happening, it takes a freaking, imagine you had a thimble amount of fentanyl and you accidentally, like imagine your shirt pocket, imagine like a little wrinkle in your shirt. You're over there making fent, right? And a little wrinkle in your shirt, a little bit splashed in it, holds on. You walk over to the cocaine factory and that little amount falls into the cocaine. That a little amount if it is enough to kill people. So that is most likely what's happening in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot of like, I mean, just think about these places where, you know, in South America, the cartels are running their businesses um, and a lot of heroin and cocaine in the United States, it does come from South America, right? So you would think that a lot of these labs, quote unquote, lab, um, are not very safe, right? And are not there's not a whole lot of like uh safety procedures going on. It's not like they have OSHA down there coming and checking them out <laughs> and saying, "Are you uh are you weighing this out correctly?" You know what I mean? Like there's not any of that going on. So I think that when the kilogram like packages are being weighed and packaged uh for cocaine, they can't afford two scales. What are they going to do? <laughs> I don't even know if it's that they only made a billion no, dollars this month. I can't get, I can't get two scales, right. dude. I think I think a lot of it is like they just have these things so open yeah. and it's not like a typical, you know, lab at a university or at some company in the United States where you're going to have like sectioned off rooms right. for this specific drug is only created here, right? And and yeah. that that is how it is. So like up here if a lab is creating oxycodone, they're not creating like or all these other drugs or fentanyl. Sure, yeah, all right next to each other, right. you know, because there's this huge potential for cross contamination. And so, right. I think a lot of it is probably a cross contamination issue. So, like yeah. the people that are producing the cocaine, the ones that are packaging it and sending it off in these large quantities, tiny little bits of fentanyl, which tiny little bits of, as we've talked about, are like still a very large amount, are still you know they're getting onto the cocaine or they're getting onto the heroin. But that's the problem is that, yeah, like heroin absolutely is getting fentanyl cut into yes, it. Yes, that heroin, it is actually, okay, so in my research, I found that the cartels don't even like fentanyl because it's so deadly. Like, I'm sure they've had many deaths from accidental, like, insufflation or something. Right, where, or family members just working next to it, right? Right, exactly. Like, uh, it's so in the, in the things I've seen and read and researched, a lot of the cartel members down there, they don't like the fentanyl either but there's a market for it because it's so powerful so what is happening is they'll get large orders from the united states to send fentanyl uh heroin and then fentanyl mixed with heroin and that gets shipped up here and then really depending on the dealer is what you get a lot of people are primarily asking for fentanyl instead of heroin because they're like okay well i know how much to take like i am I'm gonna like get fentanyl anyway and it's freaking potent as hell i'd rather do it and it's cheap like it's cheaper than heroin because it's easier to make yeah and more readily well, readily available i um it is incredibly easy to uh synthesize fentanyl from what i learned in my bathtub 
Just kidding. Yeah, and it's also... <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> I did not <laughs> make fentanyl in my bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, I know, well, and especially so many... Sorry, what? <laughs> nothing. Yeah, nothing. All right. Uh, no, Go I ahead. was just going to say, uh, <laughs> well, a lot of people that are like intentionally getting fentanyl too is because they already do so many op- opioids that the tolerances is massively high. And so they'll buy right. fentanyl, but instead of like either shooting up like what they would do with heroin, they smoke it because it's obviously less, it's less deadly than shooting it up. And so I've read ah. that. No, nah, I've, I've heard multiple accounts of this. That I a think lot most of people-, people who um, are active users of heroin to the point where they're doing it on a daily basis to where they'd be getting fentanyl, they're not going to switch to smoking. They're, they're going to probably keep injecting. Yeah, I'm just saying from what from multiple interviews of people, they have said that they smoked fentanyl because it's less of a risk of dying if it's too strong. Yeah, I, I'd say absolutely. Like I have had friends um, and people, acquaintances that I've known who have been IV uh, heroin users and then have talked to me about the various fentanyl analogs. Uh, meaning drugs that are chemically related to fentanyl but aren't fentanyl exactly. Right. Uh, uh, when they've ordered and purchased these drugs, they've smoked them. Um, and I think that it has a lot to do with that. That fentanyl typically, someone, if they get the powdered, you know, raw material of it, they're probably not going to just use that. Uh, a lot of times it'll be mixed into a liquid, like they'll volumetrically dose it. And so then with a liquid, you could add it to your vape pen. Yeah. You know, you could smoke it on foil. Ah. Like, so there's I, all these different ways of doing it. But I don't think people are really injecting fentanyl as soon as they buy it, unless they've been a fentanyl user. You right. Know? And I think the people who mm. are injecting it aren't really worried about dying. Uh, I do right. want to keep talking about analogs uh, after. I just want to uh, just quickly go over the legality. Fentanyl is a Schedule II substance, uh, which means that the drug has a high potential for abuse. The drug is currently accepted for medical use and treatment, and that the drug may lead to severe psychological or physical dependence. Okay, there, we got that out of the way. Anyway, uh, (laughs) with legality, we were just talking about analog drugs and research chemicals. So that's the thing about fentanyl is... There are so, or actually, so the the United States Drug Enforcement Agency has identified 12 different analogs of fentanyl in the United States, uh, probably being sold as heroin or fentanyl. And that's the thing about analog drugs is a lot of the times these things, we've all heard research chemicals, right? Or bath salts. So a lot of the times these things are one analog off, right? Is that what it's called? One uh, molecular like structure changed. Yeah, there's just little little tweaks added to the structure. Exactly. So then these things can be sold legally, not for human consumption on the internet. And it's really hard to control because it can have very similar, very uh, potent effects just like fentanyl would, or maybe even stronger because there's other drugs stronger than fentanyl that we'll uh-huh. get into. But uh, these Same. things can be bought online. Uh, and that's a really hard thing to control when it comes to uh, uh, illegal drugs is analog research chemical drugs. Weirdly enough, there's actually a the there's an analog act right uh, that was put into place. I don't know when exactly, but we the, the U.S. has this analog act uh, where if a drug is structurally related 
to a Schedule 1 substance. It might be Schedule 1 and 2, but I'm not sure. I know that for Schedule 1, um, if, say it's a compound like deschloroketamine that is structurally similar to PCP, as well as ketamine. However, PCP is Schedule 1, ketamine is Schedule 3. They can still call that deschloroketamine analog a Schedule 1 analog, and technically under the Federal Analog Act, you can be... Uh, you know, sentence sentence the same. You could get oh. the same. Uh, you'd get the same exact sentence for having this drug, or manufacturing it, or distributing whatever you're doing with it as the as the analog of that what it is, right? So, like um, these these fentanyl analogs, they could be still considered uh, Schedule Two, okay. right? However, I don't know how often that Federal Analog Act is actually used. Like, right. I've never really, in the news, there's not many people getting in trouble for these analogs. And I think that a lot of it does have to do with, like, lawyers. They know how to find these gray areas and find a way to, you know, make it still possible for right. people to purchase and use and stuff. And that's, I think that's where China comes into play big it's, time. It's right? so funny because it's, like, so it's like such semantics. Like, it could be almost identical to fentanyl and you're like, it's not fentanyl, though. I'm, it's yeah. like <laughs> no, exactly. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. It's like one of those things. It's like it's not fentanyl. It's yep. not fentanyl. It's like it's almost exactly the same. Like just one little tweak of the the molecular structure, and it's not considered fentanyl. So technically, a lot of the times you can have it uh, unless they wanted to maybe like grill you and be like, "Nah, it's fentanyl." <laughs> what I think. What I think we should really say is that it just seems that with this problem this analog situation, it's incredibly easy for people to import these drugs yeah. at like a really large quantity into the United States and then sell them off because essentially no one's looking at it. No yeah. one no one really cares. So, mm. And you want to talk about importing into the United States. Listen to this. So the largest seizures to date, okay, so we talked about microgram levels, right? Imagine... In Mexico City, they seized 260 pounds of pure fentanyl. That could kill, like, the population of the U.S. Dude, that's that is, like, fucking insane. And then, so that, that, was one, that was one seizure. And they've had many, 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 <coughs> many seizures. The, the largest seizure at the U.S. border was 250 pounds of pure fentanyl okay. found on a semi-hauling oh. vegetables. And I just want to say that, like, I think one pound in weight is probably, uh, I think, 453 million 500-something micrograms. Holy and fuck. I think it takes about, like, what is it? The, two milligrams. Mm, two milligrams, like 2,000 mics to kill you. But I think a, a normal dose of fentanyl is around 25 to 50 micrograms. Yeah. So one pound could kill hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. yeah. That's and, insane. And there's been- Almost and then, millions, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, like literally millions, about 200 million. Right. Holy That's fuck. so terrifying. <laughs> uh, How many pounds again? Uh, so there was one in Mexico City that was 260 pounds. Jesus and then one, one at the border that was 250 pounds. And those are just the largest ones. There's been many other that were, others that were close. Well, and think so, about how many of that haven't gotten caught. Like That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's fucking insane. insane. Okay, so that's, They're moving weight. I just have to say, 260 pounds <laughs> yeah. is, I don't even know this number, but it looks about to be 117 trillion thousand micrograms. Wow. Wow. Dude, that's, that could kill 
millions of people or billions. Mil- yeah, probably a billion, about a billion people. Yeah. 260 Dude. pounds. Holy shit. Just add a few more pounds and you could kill off the entire fucking population okay. of the earth. Yep. <laughs> so, so, so that, Maybe that's, that's what's happening. Well, that's, so that's pretty scary, right? To think about that, uh, th- that amount of weight in those seizures and how many people it could affect. So I, I have a story later coming up um, that might scare you uh, for the rest of your life. But do you want to talk about how fentanyl was created <laughs> for now? Yeah, I mean, n- we now that I'm terrified and have a ton of anxiety, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about that. <laughs> so fentanyl was first synthesized in Belgium by Paul Jansen in 1959. Yo, shout out ni- fucking Paul Jansen. All my homies hate Paul Jansen. <laughs> All my homies hate Paul Jansen. Well, <laughs> you know, so this is the thing. Like I said, fentanyl is a bad drug, but it's not the only one. So it's like there's scarier drugs than fentanyl that I, I'll get into a little later. Um, so he just made one of the worst ones because of how it's been affecting the world. But yeah. So shout out Paul Jansen in 1959, <laughs> <laughs> which Micah and I had a conversation earlier that we, he was surprised how long it's been around, but it's, since 1959, cause that's like 70 years. I was yeah. almost surprised that it took that long to create it, to synthesize it. Uh, because how long has LSD been around? Uh, 1943, 42, something like that, I think is when LSD was invented. Um, but like when, when, were opi- when were opioids like invented? Uh, opium has been around for centuries. So that's why uh, I had the opinion that it was almost strange to me that it took till 1959 to start synthesizing these super gnarly opioids well yeah that's interesting you got to think like chemistry you know we've only known so much for so long right and like opium is an incredibly easy thing to produce because it's just comes from the milk yeah it's just natural a poppy right plant you know you can just cut the poppy plant and you can get opium but it was such a famous thing you would have thought that uh that more people would be trying to get to the bottom of what got you high inside well yeah but they they did right because like Opium is just morphine and codeine. Yeah. Those are both naturally occurring opiates. So like, uh, I don't know. I, honestly, I think it's crazy that we found fentanyl as long ago as we did. Yeah. Or even some of these synthetic opioids, like the heroin, for example, is a crazy chemical, but it's not been around for very long. It's a good point. Um, it's a good point. Yeah. But what was that one? What was that? So uh, they called it, uh, well, man, it was like that tincture, the opia, uh, uh, God, I'm I'm so sorry. I forget there was a name for it, but it was what everyone used back in the day. Like the, uh, um, you know, surgeons and and physicians were using it. It was just like a tincture, but it was like an opioid tincture. Uh, um, oh, I have no idea I, what you're talking I'm not, about. I'm not sure. I I, I just um, heroin has been around since the 1800s, so it's just they they were messing around with it for quite a while before they figured out how to make um, uh, freaking. Fent. Fent, yeah. Well, it, but hmm. why did they, like, did we, like, the, why did they really want to make Fent in general? To kill hundreds of thousands of people. No, actually, <laughs> like, interesting, interestingly enough, though, there's, like, a, a thing for it. Like, there was a well, good reason for it. Well, yeah, it. it's a, it's a, um, it's a general anesthetic, and it was uh, commonly used in hospitals from, starting in 1968, 
it was combined with uh, citric acid to make fentanyl citrate. And that's generally what is used. And they did a one-to-one, I presume, to make it safer to handle since it's so freaking potent. Right. But part of why they created it was so that they could... They, there, was a, there was a reason for creating it to be incredibly potent, right? And one sec, I'll just really quickly mention it. The, the d- difference between it and like um, morphine, right, is that morphine is not a lipid-soluble uh, chemical, meaning it, it doesn't dissolve readily in fats. And so it has a tough time passing the blood-brain barrier, huh. right? Um, so there was a lot of chemicals that they tried to create uh, back in like the 50s that would be lipid-soluble pain relievers so that they could be more fast-acting than our typical analgesics, which is like the word for pain relief, right? Analgesic. Uh, we wanted to create ones that were quick, quickly acting, right? So like you could just give it to someone either through their skin or through their nose or, you know, IV or whatever, and it right. would be quick and it would give them pain relief quick. So yeah. they created like phenoparidine, I think, which was like 25 times more potent than morphine. But it was able to cl- cross the blood-brain barrier due to this like ability to dissolve readily in fat. And this is just because the blood-brain barrier is composed of these things called like phospholipid bilayers, right? Which it contains a lipid part of it, which means it's a fat. So uh, they created a bunch of drugs that were in this like paradine family, trying to make a drug that was going to be incredibly potent and fast-acting uh, in terms of pain relief. And so then fentanyl ended up being you know created based on this phenoparadine chemical. Um, and essentially, yeah, all, all that I was trying to mention is that that's part of why I think it was really like focused on so much was that they were trying to make these incredibly uh, potent, fast-acting, pain-relieving drugs. And so- Yeah, because uh, in the hospital, typically you wouldn't get an IV. You would get a fentanyl patch. Uh, yeah, exactly. Is is the most common uh, application of fentanyl in the hospitals, which was well- developed in the 90s as a way to provide constant pain relief for up to 72 hours. Yeah, yeah. and the whole, and what I was going to add er- earlier uh, is that the whole point of like inventing fentanyl was so so they could give somebody a crazy, crazy strong opioid like right after like a very major surgery because it has, it's so potent and like relieves just all of your pain uh yeah. immediately like what michael was just saying and so that's why that's p- part of the reason why it was invented is so they could give it to people post like brain surgery or like some crazy surgery that's like or like crazy back surgery or something like that uh like just uh, any major major surgery that you're going to be in extreme pain for right and uh by 1999 uh they had started they had made the lollipop that you referred to earlier uh, a brand named Actic made a flavored fentanyl lollipop, which in hindsight is kind of scary to think about that a lot of people's lifelong opiate addiction probably stemmed from a freaking lollipop. That's kind of dark. <laughs> uh, that's not uh, lollipops are supposed to be fun and nostalgic, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Depressing. Probably ruined a lot of people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, in 2009, uh, Bocule. Bukal, Bukal, a soluble Bukaki? film was produced. Bukal, Bukal, <laughs> soluble film was produced, which uh, it it's, it reminds me of those Listerine 
breath mint thing. You know those little strips, those yeah. Listerine strips that you put on your tongue and they dissolve? Yeah. So in 2009, they kind of made one of those that you put on the inside of your cheek and it dissolves over time. It's used for cancer pain management. And that's, that's the thing they like uh, that they use uh, fentanyl in the hospital a lot for is uh, long, long lasting opiate but with it being something that you could put on the skin, like Micah was saying, and it is uh, the blood brain barrier or whatever to where uh, it's uh, active through the skin. Well, okay. Damn, well, so the hard part is like it, um, the whole act active through the like skin is nothing to do with the blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Sorry. Part of it is though, because it's a lipid soluble chemical. So meaning it, it dissolves readily in fats. So, okay. a, a, so like um, I think, one of the best examples that a lot of our listeners may be familiar with is uh, these transdermal uh, salves, salves, salve, whatever you want to call it, um, that you might purchase oh, for CBD, yeah, yeah, for pain relief. Um, you know, like uh, it's like a cream that you might apply to your skin. Right. Uh, maybe it has CBD in it and menthol and different things like that. Um, yeah, when I was getting migraines so, a lot uh, during the first part of COVID, I was using CBD to put on like my head and stuff like that because it was like. My brain was just like pounding. Right. And the, and the salves work awesome, right? Oh, and the, and so part good. Of, part of the reason they are able to work like that through the skin is that they have their, their chemicals that have constituents to them that allow them to be dissolved in fat. And your skin, right? The cells in your skin, these dermal layers, they contain cells that have the ability to accept fats. And so, uh, when you add a drug like a cannabinoid or these opioids that have fentanyl, not sorry, fentanyl, that have <laughs> <laughs> like lipid soluble uh, constituents to their chemical structure, yeah. then they're able to be readily dissolved or absorbed through other lipid soluble cells. So then like adding a cannabinoid, which most, I think all cannabinoids actually are lipid soluble chemicals to your skin, you can get this effect where it dissolves into the skin and then it goes into the blood later on. So So, the same thing is happening with these ones where like if I were to put morphine on my skin, it would not dissolve into the blood at one point. So if I took dabs and since the THC is activated or whatever and I put it on my skin long enough, I could get stoned. Um, yeah, (laughs) that's essentially the idea. It would just probably not work too well, probably take forever and probably give me like, it would probably just give me an irritation before it got like any amount of, uh, like highness from the, the weed. Probably. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of those creams, the salves that are created actually have other chemicals in them, right? That help just like any kind of lotion, those lotions that you buy, there's like, hundred different chemicals on the back of the ingredients list. And there's a reason for that because a lot of those are formulated in a way to help it for that, you know, the main uh, principal compound to get into the skin. Uh, So yeah, I think that if you were to put dabs into a certain kind of cream, they would be applied better and then Mm. like they would work better. But um, essentially, yeah, that's what like having a THC extract in your salve is anyway, right? It's just, Almost like having dabs <laughs> added to your uh, your lotion. 
Um, so yeah. Just get a lotion, that, just lotion plus dabs. Yeah. <laughs> Puffs plus. But essentially, smoking like, pharma- pharmacologically, that, that is how these different opioids are able to be applied transdermally, meaning to the skin, yeah. um, because they have the ability to dissolve readily in fat cells uh, compared to other chemicals like morphine, which aren't fat soluble. So, uh, mm. you know, you, you have more wide ranges of uses with a drug that you can apply to like almost every orifice of your body and uh, surface of your body uh, and get an effect from. Ah, very that's crazy. Honestly, it's kind of scary. It is super scary because that's that whole thing of why do you think oh. there's all these police potentially sitting here going, oh my God, if I stand next to this chemical, I'm going to die from it, you know? Yeah, I want to yeah. uh, just wrap up this uh, history section really fast with uh, what's going on in the modern time. And then I have a terrifying story to tell you guys about that, essentially. Um, so, what, what? I said hit it, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so now moving on to modern times since then it's just been used uh, in the hospitals and it's widely known as just the extremely fatal street drug that it is and up until 2020 suicide was the leading cause of death for adults 18 to 45 which is now not the leading cause of death it has been overtaken by fentanyl yep. uh, leading cause of death for that age range, age range of adults killing almost 50,000 people alone in 2021, which Holy if shit. that doesn't scare you, then I don't know what should. 50,000 people is a lot of people. And th- that's from things like we were talking about, um, like cut into heroin and maybe someone took the same dose or I don't know how many of those are accidental overdoses. I couldn't find that statistic. Um, I, I feel like a lot of them are from things like cocaine deaths or pressed, uh, fake Xanax pills that maybe had fentanyl in it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it is just so scary that it has now overtaken as the leading cause of death for adults 18 to 45. Terrifying. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. And I want to add two other facts onto that. So in the U.S. in 2016, which was six years ago, uh, one-third of overdoses were from fentanyl. One-third of overdoses of all drugs were from fentanyl in 2016, and I can't imagine what it is now. I I, I couldn't find the facts on that for, for recent studies. Uh, but I'd then also— it's Three-thirds. It's, it's all of them now. Oh, it's <laughs> no, got to be like, most of it's the, them. Well, it's yeah. the majority. It's, if it's the leading cause of death of all adults, then it has to be the leading overdose killer. Well, it is the leading cause of overdose deaths, but I'm, um, yeah. I'm just saying out of, I don't know like what the percentage is now of like. Gotcha. But anyways, uh, and then also the deaths, the deaths jumped 30% from July, 2016 to September, 2017. So in the course of like 15 months, I think that is. It jumped thirty percent, and that was in that was back in twenty seventeen. So, like, I can't it's imagine so again what the percentage is now. I, I again couldn't find any uh, well, the, recent scary, studies about it. It's scary to think about. That means that some drug people, drug kingpins, were having a discussion, being like, "Well, there's this thing that's way more potent, and it's cheap and easy to produce, and like resource. 
let's start pushing this out. And in that three months, when whoever decided they were going to start doing it, it just immediately started killing people. Yeah, exactly. Which is or just terrifying. People. But I, I feel like for the most part, it kills people. Um, yeah. So this is super terrifying. So now in modern times, we all know Fent is big, bad, and scary. And we talked about how if you get it on your skin, you can die. But it is not the only one of its uh, analogs, essentially, that is the most potent. There's this drug called carfentanil, which is far more potent than fentanyl. Is that fentanyl that's found in cars? Yeah, it's car. <laughs> you give it to your car when it's. <laughs> it's like when you leave a water bottle in your car for too long. It's like if you leave fentanyl right. in your car for too long. <laughs> right. So, um, so the thing I kind of want to talk about is just the the fear that I don't think a lot of people think about is the fear of say like a terrorism attack using fentanyl. It being so small and. Uh, like you don't you could just dust it on someone and they can die like if you had enough you could throw no it in someone's shit. face and they would pretty much die. Holy fuck. so in 2012 during the Moscow theater hostage crisis the Russian military actually used carfentanil uh, in an aerosol spray to subdue the Chechen hostage takers and they didn't tell the EMTs that there was carfentanil that in the aerosol spray that they used to subdue them, and they did the entire theater. They just puffed this theater full of carfentanil. And this was in 2012. And when the EMT showed up, the military was like, oh yeah, bring some like Narcan kind of stuff. When they showed up, they didn't have enough of it because they didn't know like, oh, did they just subdue the the uh, hostage takers or did they, like, they didn't really know because the military was being secretive because they didn't yeah. want to just be like, yeah, we just drugged all these people in there. It led to the death of 125 people from resp- oh. respiratory depression, securing that fear that it can be used as like for terrorism. Well, yeah. Holy so like, I'll, I'll add to that because I have a police officer friend uh, that lives down in San Francisco and works down in San Francisco. Uh, his uh, his unit has been uh, trained and you know kind of forewarned that at certain venues like the giant stadium i don't know the name of that that new one down there but anyway the giant stadium down there um you know places like that that are open to the sky right um there is fear that drone attacks could happen where a drone carries or a few drones carry bags like like kilos which by the way a kilogram is a thousand grams guys and we've talked about this fentanyl thing (laughs) <laughs> we talked about the math on that. Yeah, so, you know, kilograms of fentanyl dropping out of the sky onto a crowd of baseball fans. What, what, what uh, fits, in a, what fits in, a, um, in a stadium like that? Maybe 10,000 people? Yeah, sure. A right. kilo is more than enough. 100% yeah. more than enough. <laughs> and a drone could absolutely carry it, you know, mm-hmm. and let it go. And so they are actually trained. SFPD is trained. And told and forewarned that this is a possible terrorist attack that could end up happening in their city, where if it does happen, all of the people, like the EMTs, the police officers, all those first responders, 
would just keep getting dosed. So like they would come to save people and then they'd get dosed. And then the person that would try to save them would get dosed. And then all these people are getting fatal doses of it. And so in a way, it's actually a, a much more effective terrorist attack than using kind of automatic rifles yeah, or rifles, or bombs. Right. Not that I'm trying to spread that as good information for terrorists. No, we're just to trying use. to scare the shit out of you. But exactly. It, it is something that we should be all like thinking about because right. it's the same way that I think yeah. about assault rifles. I am actually more scared of fentanyl than yeah. I am of assault rifles. Right. Oh, same. Yeah, Me too. for sure. Yeah, I'm more scared of possibly taking something at, for like recreationally. Right. And dying than I am getting shot in. We live in Portland, which I don't know if you know this about Portland. The last like year is just climbing and deaths from people getting shot. Really? like Yeah, there's more gunshots than there are days in the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still scared of fentanyl. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not scared to get shot here. I'm way more scared to get fentanyl killed. Um, fentanyl yeah, killed, just, <laughs> murdered by <laughs> murdered by fentanyl, FKO, bro. <laughs> yeah, I won't even I won't even do like cocaine or anything now. It's just it's not safe. I feel like it's oh like, yeah, no, definitely nothing's not. safe anymore. <laughs> well, and it's crazy. Safe. We're I was just thinking about this earlier. It's crazy. We're in this time period now where it's like people can't even really like do drugs without just overdosing and dying because of like you don't even know what's in it. It's like you're buying heroin. And it's not even heroin, like, or you're buying right. these, like, you're buying these pressed pills so that you think are, like, Vicodin or something or whatever, and it's fucking fentanyl, and then these people just, you just die, and it's, like, there's no point in risking your life or your health to just try to get high off that. It's, like, dude, just fucking and smoke Ryan, some weed sure, and shit. I'm sure you have some uh, people you want to maybe talk about that um, have died from pressed pills that they thought were something else. I have um, uh, I have a lot of people I would like to talk about that. Uh, I don't know if you let's guys get are, into it because yeah, yeah I don't let's know if get we're into ready it. for and, that yet. Absolutely, yeah, because we're absolutely at that time. <laughs> we, yeah, I, there's no levity to this, so it's just <laughs> let's get uh, into that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. All right, let's <laughs> let's get into that then. It's uh, forewarning. This is very depressing. So just yeah. uh, <laughs> it's hold a depressing on to topic. Your, I mean, rip. There's, there's no bright side to this topic. I don't think there's going to be any positive takeaway from today's episode whatsoever. No, although, no, no. Although. Oh, I are we hope, getting one? Yeah, I hope <laughs> that our listeners will find this information educational and oh, yeah. potentially, yeah. you know, although it's sad and we know a lot about the, the people that we've lost from this chemical, I would hope that people find this informational and potentially forewarning and, and cautionary and, and something to put them off from every. Yeah, it sucks because like in this world, me, right. I don't want to have to stop doing cocaine for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I do it every single day. No, yeah. uh, dang it! No, but it, it, it does. China white girl. It does suck for someone who enjoys the occasional substance or two. Like I've had, I have to stop because it's it's not worth dying over. You know, well, it's it, our God given right. It does suck right. that it's a. Yeah, exactly. It's you can do whatever you want with your life, uh, and it, it so it does suck. But uh, yeah, hopefully the positive takeaway from this episode is just to show people that it's not worth it, and to um, you know be safe. And it, maybe people weren't even aware of how crazy potent fentanyl was until now. I know I personally maybe didn't, uh, and I've, I've done I've done cocaine since. Fentanyl has been an epidemic, and I one time thought maybe 
I had gotten some in there. And I still did it after that. It, it, like, you know, we're all learning here. We're all changing. And then, but uh, um, researching for this episode has changed my mind a lot. Oh, so, same. Yeah. I, did, I, I didn't realize how, how many people have died from fentanyl over the last few yeah. years. Like just how many deaths there have been. I had zero idea that, you know. In the all, last two years, it's been about 80,000 people. Which is fucking insane. Like, and is how that many just people, in the U.S.? Or that's 2020 and 2021, I believe. And that's just the United States. That's just the United that's States. That's yep. fucked. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost yeah, as many people really that have bad. died from COVID, dude. It's it's probably more, more than COVID at this point. Well, I think, what is I'd it? Say. Is it a million worldwide that have died from COVID? Or uh, is it millions? Also, don't, it, it, dude... Take a, take a statistics. I know study I know time. To say. Know that statistics. Even the statistics we're talking about today with people dying from fentanyl. Statistics are weird, so it's never a hundred percent. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, truthful. Exactly. You yeah. can't really trust stats, but at the same time, you know, there are public health organizations that are taking this information and right. So doing, it could be more. Could be they're less. doing real statistics on it, right? Right. Um, right. You know. Especially that, when it's an active situation, they kind of guess a lot of the times. So they'll guess, okay, well, there's 50,000. They extrapolate. This, exactly. So there was there was 100 today. So then they're going to assume there's 100 tomorrow. Or maybe they're going to assume that it increases tomorrow. So they'll say 150. That's the thing about statistics is it's always going to be a little off unless it's after the fact. Right. Exactly. Which is an ongoing thing. So Yeah. No, so totally. I'll, I I'll, just, I'll just really quick since we mentioned it up or mentioned it, right? That that like in the year ending like April 2021, fentanyl overdose deaths outpaced the uh automobile accidents um by like 40,000 to 22,000. Yeah, yeah, automobile wow. accident but deaths are going down, right? That's what that means, right? Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I don't think that's the case. But <laughs> there were about 21,000 deaths from COVID in uh, that 18 to 45 age group that we were talking about. Um, right. And there was only about eh, 40,000 doses from fentanyl. So about twice, <laughs> twice the fentanyl overdoses to COVID. I would go And that I, was last year, April, you know, like the beginning, like not the beginning, but the one of the biggest peaks, I think, that we've had. Right. Yeah, and that was before every, you know, the majority of the United States was vaccinated. Exactly, right. Yeah, I would go out on a limb and say there's a bigger epidemic than COVID going on here. Yeah. Oh, for yeah, more, sure. More than yeah. more than twice the you know deaths are right. fentanyl related than COVID. It's so, a lot of them accidental, so it's like you can't really blame someone for being a drug user. Like, uh, there's a lot of accidental deaths. So, oh, totally. You know, Which is you what can't just be I like, oh, that person had it coming. They were doing drugs. Uh, go ahead. No, yeah, no. I was just gonna say that's kind of what I want to get into is just all the accidental deaths that have happened and people that aren't generally really drug users, just people that are, you know, just trying to get by every day and uh, you know may have you know suffering extreme pain and they're trying to deal with pain management and just uh, you know accidental deaths from taking too much uh, fentanyl or what they think is something else and could be fentanyl. Um, so, yeah, I just want to start by getting into just the general culture these days of, like, you know, kids and just pop culture and stuff like that. Like, the the rise in pill popping over the last, like, I'd say decade is insane. Like, like when I was in high school, like, 
no one did pills really that much. Like besides right. like a couple other people. You stole your and, grandmas and me. <laughs> Everyone uh, stole their grandmas, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I didn't personally steal my grandmas, but I had friends that stole from their grandparents and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> not gonna name any names, but you know who you are if you're out there listening. <laughs> um, nice. But no, yeah. So a lot of people were. We're just popping pills and stuff like that because it was, I mean, at that time, especially where I grew up, it was either like, oh, like I'm going to smoke weed or I'm going to do pills because pills are easier to get than alcohol was at that time. And, and at this time. Typically viewed as safe. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, well, exactly, I mean, because people. Yeah, exactly. And then, but so this leads into the next thing of people of nowadays, cause, because so many people have abused opioids over the years that now it's harder and harder and harder to get those prescriptions from doctors. And so a lot of people are buying pills uh, illegally, like from dealers and stuff like that. And they think that they're prescribed, but they're not. They're just people pressing pills and just putting fucking whatever they feel like putting in there, which a lot of times is fentanyl. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of people have also turned to heroin over the years because they just can't get these prescription pills but we can get into that in a different episode. And um, so I was looking up. Uh, so you were talking about people making their own press pills. Uh, Longview, I, that's in California, right? I think uh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, they seized 185,000 fentanyl pills, laced pills. Holy I think that's fuck. Texas. But yeah. Longview, Texas? Yep. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Mike, actually. Yeah, it, it it doesn't matter where. It's more just like the quantity of pills is just so fucking insane. The, the quantity of fentanyl in general that's made its way into our country and other countries is just mind blowing. One hundred eighty five thousand pills. That number of pills is larger of a population than the city I grew up in. That's right. yeah. a yeah. lot of fucking pills. Yeah, yeah. and to think that. One of those pills could end somebody's life if they have zero tolerance. Yeah. It's it's terrifying. And so everyone out there that is taking pills and buying them illegally, fucking test your shit like Micah said in the past and how we've all said in the past. Like, they're not safe. Test your stuff. But like, also, we really, really should touch on naloxone, right? Mm -hmm. Narcan. Narcan. Well, we'll talk about that in uh, when we go over harm reduction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's well, a, then, that's the thing that I should mention is probably a lot of the people that Ryan is about to talk about didn't have this stuff on them and could have possibly, and they could saved. have had it and they could have survived. So yeah. exactly, yeah, just, no, ex- exactly, yeah. a lot, and yeah. So yeah, let me just uh, let me get into this. So I'm, I, I want to move over into like music culture because essentially, I've noticed a lot over, especially in music culture that people have uh, really, really started to be more acceptive of like the whole pill popping thing and everything. And that, and that's, I, I think, a lot of where it stems from, of like kids wanting to do pills and stuff like that. And at least that's where I was when I was in high school. Like I was doing pills all the time because I was hearing rappers talk about it and I thought it was cool. And, uh, and you know, hip hop has changed a lot over the years too. Instead of like, you know, oh, I sell drugs and I, I you know, I'm, you know, gangbanging or, or whatever it may be that they're talking about. Now it's shifted a lot to I do these drugs and I'm, oh, I'm sipping lean all the time or I'm like popping pills all the time. Like that's, I'd say a majority of what hip hop is about these days is 
just talking about doing drugs. And so yeah. all these kids that are listening to this music now hear this and then idolize these rappers or whoever the musician, whoever the artist is. And they're like, oh, I want to be like that person. Let me like go buy Percocet. Let me go buy like whatever, whatever pills that they're talking about. And that's again, how I was when I was in like high school. Like I was doing a lot of fucking shitty drugs, like popping pills and stuff a lot because I was hearing all of these rappers discuss popping pills and making it seem like it's very cool. When in fact it's, not that super cool. <laughs> it's I mean to me whenever I even talking about it now like I get sick to my stomach because it's like yeah if I would have been born a few years later and grew up in a slightly different time like I could have easily died from like doing fentanyl like luckily when I was doing those things fentanyl wasn't really around and wasn't really like predominant like it was how it is in the last you know six years and right uh and it and it's very it's very sad and very depressing to think about because, you know, like I said before, you like, can't do you know, drugs anymore. No, literally. I, yeah. Like no, I, I know, was about yeah, to say that, like, like, you know, if like you want to do drugs, really. you should be able to safely do drugs and not fucking have to like think about just dying all the time and stuff. Um, yeah, cause that's what our podcast is about is uh, trying to make it clear that drugs have a really bad reputation. If you are a, 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 a healthy person, and you want to enjoy a little substances and alter your mind and have fun, like you should be able to do that. You know, you're an adult. Like, why why can't you why can't you do something? Like, as long as you're being safe and you know uh, you're not addicted and stuff like that. Like, why can't you partake in some drugs? But now, really, exactly. you can't at all. No, exactly. It's it's very it's very depressing. You know, like. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes girls just want to have fun, and you can't. Yeah, recreational <laughs> drug use is completely fine, and I encourage it in, oh, in a healthy sure. manner. Like, it, it's you know, as long as it's manageable. It, obviously, depending on the person, if you're like predisposed to addiction or something, like maybe don't because right. you know, addiction is rough, and it, it, and a lot of people suffer from that. And, totally. Um, but it, like, if you can manage to you know hold the hold the job and you know be a good or no, I don't even say good because people who are addicted to drugs are good people too. But yeah. you know, uh, maintain your life, and every couple months you want to do, you know, some illicit substances. It's all in your right, in my opinion, to do that. And I I completely agree with you. As long as you're not causing problems for other people and like stealing from other people and all of these things, I think you should be able to do that. And I think oh, that's where a lot of the, it stems from of like people going down this fucked up road of like being homeless and just living on the street and doing drugs and not having jobs is because of like, you know, people getting drug tested all the time and it being so frowned upon is like, Oh, like I did this drug or whatever. And then like your like workplace firing you because they find out or something. Right. And then it's like, and then it's like, okay, well business. like, yeah, no, exactly. As long as you're not showing up to work f- fucked up to where Hi, you can't yeah. do your job. And, or yeah, just shit like that. Like you should be able to do generally, you know, what, whatever, whatever you the hell you want to do. Everyone's their people. own person. Yeah. As long as you're not harming anybody else around you and causing problems for the general public, like you should be able to do whatever drugs you want to do. So yeah, I'm a big, big advocate for like, do as thou will. Um, and like, I refuse to be told what to do by anybody. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I, I'm fully in agreement with people wanting to do drugs. 
Uh, oh, totally. But it is scary. Like it's just not the same thing anymore. It's exactly. Just it's terrifying now. It's I I couldn't imagine getting offered something and actually wanting to do it. Like if someone every, every time I get offered anything anywhere, I'm just like, nope, I'm good. Like I don't even want to smoke other people's right. weed. Like, if, <laughs> like I, I'm, I do. I, okay, that's a little, <laughs> dude. I don't even, I don't even want to breathe around other people, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking. Well, um, that's because you're unvaccinated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and fucking truth, patriot over here, dude. <laughs> no, to, 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 for all the haters and all the fucking people out there, I am vaccinated, and <laughs> I, I. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the one of the people I wanted to talk about who's actually still alive uh, is this dude. His, he's a producer. His name is Big Head, and he uh, he's like a producer for. Uh, he did a bunch of like Lil Peep stuff and uh, stuff for um, Lil Pump and a bunch of people in those kind of areas and, or those uh, genres and stuff. And uh, so he would actually prefer to get fentanyl and. Uh, because it, it because of it being stronger, because he would he would go out of his way to take fentanyl from getting like in the, like, these press pills, because he would just want to get so fucked up and just like do a bunch of pills all the time that his tolerance was so high that he was like, oh, I would rather just get like as high as I possibly can. And that was actually one of the people that talked about smoking like fentanyl. So they would get fentanyl. He would get fentanyl on a press pill, and he would smoke it because he would get these little short spurts of just extreme highness and not have to worry about like overdosing and stuff as easily as like popping the full pill. So pretty, pretty interesting that he would do that because, you know, uh, a lot of people, when they hear the word fentanyl, they're like, Oh, that's terrifying. Like, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that. And he's going out of his way to get fentanyl, which is absolutely terrifying. Right. And And you said he was smoking it too. And I just want to elaborate that, um, the different methods of ingestion when it comes to opiates are uh, vastly different in um, overdose cases. So, like, it, it's I did some research like a while ago, so I don't know if this is up to date. But like smoking heroin, for example, it is like it's commonly known to be almost like impossible to overdose. Uh, yeah. like you're gonna pass out far before you could smoke yourself to death like exactly gonna, you know not out or whatever so so exactly. I, I understand why people would smoke fentanyl i don't know because i haven't done any research when it comes to smoking fentanyl how easy it is to overdose but right. i would imagine it's um like it, almost the same thing like you're gonna pass out before you would overdose i could be wrong about that though no, I assume I, I have, he didn't really elaborate much in, in more in the interview that I had listened to about him. But uh, yeah, I, I would assume that you would probably pass out from smoking it more than, than ingesting it. Cause like, it's kind of similar to like edibles, like with weed, like you're going to pass out from smoking way quicker than like, if you take like an, or not, I guess way quicker, but like if you take an edible, like, and you go and you go to sleep, you're still going to be getting higher, which is why a lot of people like take an edible and pass out and wake up stupid high in the morning. Because it's still getting right. them higher as they're sleeping versus like if you were to be smoking, you smoke a, like a joint and go to sleep, you wake up and you're like, okay, like, you know, it's probably worn off because you tried to sleep for six, to, you know, eight hours, maybe however long you sleep for versus yeah. an edible will continue to go and go and go in your system and you'll wake up and maybe it only started wearing off two hours ago by the time you woke up, which is why yeah. a lot of people fall asleep and then die from fentanyl because they'll 
pop these pills and then pass out and then just not wake up. Right. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, which actually kind of leads me into the next topic a little bit. Well, the dude, so that dude, Big Head, he would actually turn down going on, going to the road, like onto the road and going on tours and stuff with Lil Pump because he would just literally just sit home and just want to get high and everything. And it's, he would, he would rather do that than go on the road because going on the road and he like wouldn't be able to like find pills and didn't, would have to just get such a big stash of drugs ahead of time that it was just like an inconvenience for him, which kind of leads me to the whole like touring aspect of musicians because the road doing the road these days is so much work because of how many dates you have to do and how much they like all these artists are turning these massive, massive tours to hit every city and every state that they can. Like so any major city and every state. Artists. Dude, it's insane. And that's the way that people make money these days. Because if you put um, if you put out an album, you're only gonna make a certain amount of money compared to like if you go on the road and like sell tickets and stuff and do a tour, like you're gonna make so much more money doing that and selling merch than you are from actually making music these days, which is really fucked up. And so yeah. all of these artists do these massive, massive tours, which is completely mentally and physically exhausting just doing that, just spending nine months on the road, six months on the road, just destroying your body every single day. Because a lot of these people, they're just running around, jumping on the stage, doing fucking stage dives, whatever. And it's a lot, it's a lot of work to do that. And yeah. a lot of people, on, like, they don't take care of themselves. They're eating Physically out every night. Physically and mentally. Yeah, they're, and they're eating out every night. They're fucking eating fast food. They're eating whatever just on their way by through these cities and they're just not taking care of themselves. So if you possibly can, please buy albums, buy these artists music because <laughs> my these album people comes are literally, out the, you just start these people, <laughs> these people are literally killing themselves for you to have a good time and enjoy. Yeah. And it's so fucked up. Like, and it sucks because a lot of these people, um, are working so hard on their music careers and then, you know, they're taking drugs as a way to relax and then they're getting drugs cut with fentanyl, which I think a big misnomer is like, oh, well, these people are so famous. They have so much money. Like how did they not have a drug dealer that could like get them uncut stuff? Like how could they possibly have gotten fentanyl lay stuff? They're so famous, you know? Oh, but exactly. I think that just, yeah. Yeah. I think that just, uh, it really, elevates the whole thing of it's just not safe for anybody at this point. Yeah. Well, even as a famous musician, it's almost harder to get prescribed drugs because you're a famous musician. You they're like, oh, they're just going <laughs> to like, yeah, me, myself. <laughs> uh, no, they're, uh, it's just harder because it's like doctors are like, oh, this person's just trying to abuse the system and stuff like that. Cause they're famous. Well, and so it's even almost doctor. Yeah, I mean, there's also the doctors like, you know, Michael Jackson's doctor that'll just do whatever you ask and stuff. Um, But a lot of these people aren't intentionally trying to take fentanyl. They're just killing themselves on the road and just trying to, like, get through the day. And so there's so much stress physically and mentally that they're just taking these, like, usually they're taking painkillers. And they're Uh, just trying to, like, just take away the pain, you know, just get, get through the day, like... And, but turns out, you know, some of these actually have fentanyl in them. And so David Crosby has actually said, uh, been on the, I don't know if you, anyone knows Crosby stills Nash young David Crosby. Sounds familiar. I don't the know. fucking man, dude. Uh, he, 
he said it's very hard not to take painkillers like on the road. Like he has, he's had a prescription of Vicodin or something. I think he said Vicodin for a while and he pretty much never tries to take it because he doesn't want to get hooked on opioids just because they're so addicting. And it's like so easy to want to do that while on the road. It's just like, he's just like, ah, I refuse to like, I'm if, unless I absolutely have to, I refuse to, but a lot of people aren't like that. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, give me anything I can to take this pain away. And so what I wanted to talk about with some of the musicians that have died from this, uh, we'll go ahead and start with one of the most famous deaths over the past few years from fentanyl, which is Mac Miller. He, he died when he, his autopsy showed that he had fentanyl, cocaine and alcohol in his system. And I guess he had been doing a danger mix right there. Jesus. Yeah. Well, what he had done is he, so on the day, on the day he died, it was his friend's daughter's birthday and they were all hanging out and like watching movies and just hanging out, watching whatever shows she wanted to watch. And then they eventually left and he had done some cocaine and then later uh, popped some pills thinking that they were just, uh, I think he thought that they were perks. I'm not sure exactly what pills he thought he was taking, but it was fentanyl and uh, he went to sleep and just never woke, never woke up the next day. And uh, cause you know, I don't know if any anyone who doesn't know anything about Mac Miller's past is he has struggled a lot with doing uh, with pill popping, and that, you know that was one of the main things he would do is pop pills because depression or um, you know all sorts of different things, and so that's a uh, it's very very sad that you know that happened because a lot of these people don't realize they're taking fentanyl when they think they're taking something else. That is how often this happens. And so there's like, uh, you can't perceptually tell, you can't see it. No, no, exactly. And it's so, and like we've talked about, it's in such small amounts that, you know, you don't, you don't realize it's what you're taking. And obviously I guess it's, uh, hard to, and, <laughs> you can't really pop a pill and taste, be like, oh, this has fentanyl in it. Like, you know, right. And the, the pills that they're taking that they think are the actual things. A lot of the time, if you look at these pills, you would not be able to tell the difference between a fake one that was made in someone's house, essentially with a pill press versus the a real pharmaceutical grade one. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why people think they're like, Oh, I've seen Xanax a thousand times. Like that's obviously what that is. And right. then they take it and lo and behold, lo and behold, it's fentanyl. So yeah. very, very sad, very terrifying. And again, sucks that, you can't buy pills these days and not, not be fentanyl. <laughs> uh, so anyways, what, uh, the next person I want to talk about is Tom Petty. So Tom Petty is uh, a famous musician. Uh, if anyone doesn't know who Tom Petty is, I'm very disappointed in you. I don't know who um, Tom Petty is. I've heard his name. Do you really not know who Tom Petty is? <sighs> We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've talked about this. No, before. that I don't know who anybody is. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, you're kind of fucking stupid. Dude, I am so <laughs> culturally unaware. I'm like 50 years in the past. Like, <laughs> I just don't know who anybody is. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom Petty is a famous musician. Uh, he had a famous band called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Nice. And uh, he has a couple famous songs. I'm sure you've heard Free Fallen. Free balling. Um, yeah, free falling. He's like, I'm free, free falling. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, not 
not a huge fan of that song, but anyways, R.I.P. Tom Petty, not trying to talk shit. So anyways, um, they found actually many drugs in his system. So what had happened is they found fentanyl, oxycodone, and generic Xanax in his system when he died. I think he died, I think it was 2018 when he died. And uh, so he was prescribed a fentanyl patch for a hip injury that he had. And because uh, like I was saying earlier with touring and everything, he was trying, he had had a hip injury, I think from touring and continued to tour 53 dates with a fractured hip and was just taking, he just Jesus. had a fentanyl patch. Yeah. So he was just trying How to- How old was this guy? Uh, I think he was in his 50s when he died. Let me, let me look that up really quick. Nah, I'm not sure. Must, he's got to have been older than that. Uh, let me, let me look to see how old he was when he died. He was born in 1950, died in 2017. So that means he was 67. hundred years old. About, yeah, about so, almost 70. Jesus. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So he was almost 70. So, but, and so he was, to ha- he had a fentanyl patch just to try to get through every, every tour date he had because of a and fractured hip. It. And so the day he died, he was informed by his doctor that his fractured hip had graduated to a full break. And which probably led to him overusing all of these drugs. So the fact that he had fentanyl, oxycodone, and Xanax all in his system, he was like probably just in so much pain that he was just like, dude, give me anything that'll get rid of this pain. And then he just overdosed and died. Three downers. Yeah. No, it's you know, two pain relievers, one downer. Well, I mean, but they're all like, but okay, if you've taken an amount of a pain reliever, you know it's a down or like I mean like I don't know though because that's the thing like there's some people in this world that like they get opiates and it's not a sedated feeling yeah okay so that's why it's called tango, tango? <laughs> well, that, yeah, sure. and what it was dance fever <laughs> My, <this laughs> may make you want to move yeah exactly I no I mean yeah, I do usually, know people sorry what Usually, if you see someone on the street on a on an opiate, they're going to be passed out, head in their lap. <laughs> oh yeah, just look at that's, that's what they want, right? Because well, that's the thing we have to think about. Like, there's differences to what people want when it comes to these drugs, right? Like, right. Some people want to just take the threshold, moderate, you know, common dose, yeah. and just like do their daily activities, but they want to still be like high. Right? I could never. I just yeah. like I, as someone who's taken high amounts of opiates, like I, I, it's a downer for me. I oh same. Right. But I mean, most people would say it's a sedative chemical. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, totally. And I don't <laughs> want to name drop this person. Uh, but yeah, someone we all know that I used to hang out with in high school. Uh, he would constantly take opiates all the time. And it was like a social thing for him. Like, he, right. it, dude, when he wasn't taking downers and like opiates or whatever he was taking, Xanax, whatever, whatever he was taking that day or whatever he wasn't taking that day, he whenever he wouldn't take drugs, he would just be like so sedated and just not want to do anything. And then when he would be taking these weird. drugs, he was like yeah. always like talkative and like just like, oh, like it was like normal to him. To and, the point yeah. where no one could tell because I, it almost seemed like he was more down sober. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I have, a fr- I have a family friend like that as well um, where it's just part of why they got so addicted to opioids in the in the first place was due to the fact that it was something they could use around their friends and family and no one would notice. I guess I really wow. don't think about it that much. It's like, that's so weird for- Because uh, the reason yeah. I, ma- I mainly say that is that these drugs are not created to be sedatives. Like that's not the point of No, that. they're general anesthetics. They're, no, they're not anesthetics. They're pain Wait. relievers. 
Right. Anesthetic is a little different, right? We talked about that in the ketamine episode that like pharmacologically, what an anesthetic is doing is that it's blocking receptors from like doing their job at all. So then you have this complete downregulation of feeling. But an opioid is just a pain reliever. So in a sense, it's attaching to receptors like in, like the endorphins, right? Yeah. It's, an, it's attaching to certain receptors in the brain that are making you think that you're not feeling pain. However, some of the effects that come from those drugs are, you know, sedative effects, like this relaxing, this sitting there, you know, chilling type feeling. But really, essentially, they're just pain relievers. They're not, they're not downers. Like a, a downer would be a great word for a chemical like a benzodiazepine. Oh, yeah. I right? Uh, that actually does inhibit the central nervous system. Yeah. Um, you know. That's interesting. I honestly, all like the reading I did uh, said that fentanyl was uh, created as a general anesthetic. So I, I, I understand like, I don't believe anything you read on the internet. I mean, it still <laughs> technically work as, works as an anesthetic. Yeah. Sure. But it's not generally considered an anesthetic drug due to the fact that it's more of an analgesic. Interesting. Which would be pain reliever. I see. You know, because here's the thing. This is one of those things that we talked about in episode three with ketamine with my mom, for example. Yeah. My mom, when she was taking opioids for treating the pain that she had had from her surgery— they weren't working because she had had this neuropathic pain uh, start, that complex regional pain syndrome, right? The CRPS that I mentioned. Right. That's yeah. a neuropathic pain condition. And nerve pain isn't affected by opioids, like at all. Correct. So anesthetics, though, like ketamine, they worked for it. Mm, but interesting. Opioids don't because opioids don't actually work the same way as a lot of the anesthetics in the sense that they only act on certain receptors, whereas and those receptors are a lot less widespread throughout the body. Whereas with anesthetics like ketamine, PCP, DXM, whatever, those all act on receptors that are completely widespread throughout the central nervous system. So like you could put ketamine injected into your toe and it's going to shut off all those receptors that Whoa. feel things. In the toe, and it's going to help the, you know, you could chop that toe off. If I were to shoot you up in your toe with fentanyl and chop your toe off, You're I think that you might it. still yeah. feel it. Ah, well, it yeah, you, you might just, but I feel like the difference is, like, if you did that with fentanyl, like, I feel like the rest of your body would kind of go more sedated. and Sedated, yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of it is that it opioids are used for people to manage pain. Right. Not Especially with cancer and things, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not completely relieve it. It's literally just there to manage it. And a part of it is like, yeah, you get someone fucking high as hell, they might not think about that pain. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would like to just say as someone who's broken 20 plus bones in my life and been prescribed a lot of opioids, I have said the entire time, opiates do not help me with pain no they don't a, a, a tylenol a tylenol 500 it helps far more than an opioid has ever helped me with pain any same. kind of break i've ever had yep it, same here yeah same so i i've never yeah. as someone who's been prescribed them a lot i every time i had them i was like i don't understand why they give these to me because they don't help so i just eat them all at the same time 
<laughs> I wish I was kidding. Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of people like that. But then I would just eat yeah. a Tylenol and feel great for the pain part. I mean, yeah, because like, right. honestly, the only thing I would ever say personally, which I think a lot of our listeners could agree with, is that the only thing I've experienced uh, therapeutic-wise from opioids was uh, cough syrup. Um, mm-hmm. When you yeah. have pneumonia, right? Yeah. You spend okay. Too many there, days yeah, in bed. I agree. You know, and, and you're fucking dying. Right. <laughs> uh, the cough suppressant activity of codeine or even hydrocodone, which is the Vicodin, right? Yeah. Um, right. Those cough syrups, they work. They work way better than Nyquil oh, yeah. or some DXM containing cough syrup. And so, right. That's one of those weird things about certain opioids that are derived from codeine, uh, hydrocodone, oxycodone, whatever, right? Uh, th- those drugs are antitussive. So they do seem to uh, have a little bit of a ability to stop you from coughing um, and be helpful for that. Now, I don't, that's like literally the only thing I've ever benefited from with opioids. And I've broken bones as well. And I, I don't really care. I think those ibuprofen 800s, yeah, have worked way better than any uh, oxycodone, Vicodin, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I will completely agree. I, I totally yeah. forgot the time I had strep throat and I got uh, the coating cough syrup and it was the only way I could eat. It, like, it was the only thing that helped. So I will, I'll give you that one. The The cough syrups are a lifesaver when yeah. you have something like Well, and also the reason why Vicodin probably works so well is because a lot of Vicodin has, well, it's hydrocodone and acetaminophen. And so the, is which right. is what is in Tylenol, acetaminophen, uh, or is, wait, Right. Yeah. Tylenol, yep. yeah, not yeah, Advil. Right. Advil is uh, whatever else the other thing is. Ibuprofen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and acetaminophen works fucking super well for pain. Like we've just talked about Tylenol and then the hydrocodone as well. On top of that, you know, it's, it's just mixes for a great pain reliever slash making you not think about your pain because you're fucking kind of high. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a lot of it is that the companies who, you know, like the Sackler family who created oxycodone, um, and branded it as OxyContin. Um, a lot of these researchers and these companies have known for the longest time that these chemicals have a psychoactive quality to them, right? They get you high, they make you feel good, and they have the ability to make you forget about the thing that you're experiencing in the yeah. moment. And I think that's the biggest scary part about, about all of it is that these are widespread available. Like, uh, kids get them uh it's very common like we talked about at the beginning of this episode today was that like the whole using your grandma's pills right yeah, it, yeah. i i i remember people in call or not college <laughs> middle school talking about using oxycodone or, or vicodin but it was because it's like oh well it's because my mom had it in her closet or it was because oh i had my wisdom teeth pulled in seventh yeah. grade and exactly. i was given vicodin right and so, like, actually, have I had a, a good friend uh, at the time in middle school and the beginning of high school that had had uh, he he broke his knee right skateboarding, which all of you know most of us are from the skateboarding world. I know Ryan, you weren't really skating as much as a kid, but still, fuck skateboarding, you know, dude. <laughs> we were breaking bones, you know. Yeah. We, we were doing stupid shit, yeah, and it was fun. But at the same time, it, it ended up like some of us would end up in the hospital. And so this friend of mine had broken his knee. And uh, in seventh grade, he spent six months just at home, right? Not doing anything because his knee was broken. But what was he doing? 
He was fentanyl. You know, taking pr- no, well, pretty <laughs> much, kidding. right? Prescribed opioids. Uh, he was eating prescribed opioids, and so for him, at a at a young age like that, it was just medicine, right? It's this idea of like, oh, my doctor told me to take it, so it's fine. But six months go by, and his doctor says, "Okay, you're done. Like, you don't need this anymore. So I'm going to take you off." And that's exactly how a heroin addiction starts. That heroin, is yep. fentanyl, textbook. any of it. That is textbook. any of it. Yeah, or why people start buying pills off of uh, the black market, essentially. Exactly. I mean, that's that's literally it. Like, it shows it in even that, like the House MD show that a lot of people love. Right? Is the 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 main character is a uh, physician who deals with chronic pain and takes Vicodin that's prescribed. Well, at one point, all of his colleagues decide that hey, you shouldn't really be prescribed this stuff because it's psychoactive and it's addictive and all these things. So yeah. at one point he decides that he should go into the street and find something that's cheaper and more readily available and even more effective and that would be heroin. Yeah. So yeah. It's unfortunate that this is not just like a, a TV show thing or a movie thing or or anything. It is 100% the most likely reason for you to get addicted to opioids is based on you going to your physician, your doctor, someone who you trusted, and they told you that you needed to take this, they prescribed it to you for a period of time, and then you stopped taking it. And because of the tolerance and because of the things that, you know, happen when you take a drug every single day, you decide, oh, I need this. And your doctor says, no, you don't. So you go and you find a way to get that without your doctor. Yeah. And. No, I was just, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I relate to with that is when I was in high school, again, doing pills all the time and all of a sudden you couldn't get them from somebody or there was like a dry spurt or whatever happened. Uh, there was a, at one point me and said friend uh, discussed, you know, maybe trying to get heroin instead. And we were very close to doing that. I mean, he followed and then, through. And then, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was years later, though. Um, but oh, okay. at the time, we were I think we were like 15 or 16 and we were like, oh, and we were like, man, like, Jesus. I mean, we could just get heroin. And we we're just like, wow. And we almost did until one of our other friends was like, dude, you guys are fucking idiots. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That's a bad well, idea. Yeah. And, and then I'm very two thankful years later. for that, that I didn't do that. But then a few years later, you know, he started went down the whole rabbit hole again. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very I mean, that's sad the thing. It. It's affected so many of our lives, like the three of us, but as well as like, I'd say an American, like you meet any American and they are affected by opioids. They know one yeah. person, they, one they family know at least member. one person in yep. their family or friend group that has been affected by this crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Exactly. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, this is a, this is a good conversation. And then I, I kind of wanted to get a little back on track to what I was talking about earlier with uh, people that have died and, and, you know, since we're kind of talking about people we know that have been affected, uh, another, uh, artist, very, very famous artist that has died from fentanyl was Prince. Uh, and this was also for another hip injury. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't, dude, I didn't know that until I started trying to do research for this episode. And I I thought he died of AIDS. No, no, no. (laughs) So he actually died recently. (laughs) Like I was thinking he died back in the day. No, no, I know, but no, I looked it up. Yeah. Ryan, you're right. Yeah, you know, and I think this was in 2016 when Prince died, I believe. Uh, it was either 2016 yeah. or 2018. It was one of those one of the one of those years. Uh, 
And so he also similarly to Tom Petty died uh, because of using fentanyl for hip injury. And in this case, actually, Prince thought he was taking Vicodin, just black market Vicodin. And turns out it was uh, fentanyl. Like when they went into his house after they found him dead, there were pills scattered across his entire house. And all most of those pills were contained fentanyl. But he but looked exactly like Vicodin and or any of these other pills that he thought he was taking, but was in fact That's the fentanyl. whole thing. Just because you're rich or famous, you're not immune. It's no. so crazy to me. Yeah. No, I think that's one of the, the biggest things, like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. It, it's and the fact that he wasn't <sighs> able to get it prescribed to him, you know, being a you know, very, very famous musician. The fact that he couldn't even find a doctor that could get him, you know, actual drugs. Or maybe he just didn't try. Would, I'm not would, sure. Yeah. I don't think that it's him not being able to find. It's similar to the Michael Jackson situation where it's not that they're not able to find the right physician right. to prescribe them this stuff. It's that they potentially have found the wrong physician. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Who was okay with providing them with this thing. Because you have to remember, a lot of these performers… And these celebs, they know. They know what these drugs do. They've been doing them for a long-ass time. Right. And they're actually going out and they're searching for these drugs on their own. Right. And then they have the ability to tell their physician and pay their physician to give them this stuff. Well, take Johnny Depp's trial right now going on. Perfect example. There was a testimony that was between him and his doctor saying he asked his doctor, hey, I need MDMA. I need ecstasy. Like these people are asking their doctors. That was real testimony in court that just happened three days ago or something saying I I need ecstasy. So they're asking their doctors. They're going through the doctor. These famous people are. Which I mean, yeah. Well, and actually, that's uh, that's not what's happening with the Prince situation. Is he? They act, he didn't have a prescription for fentanyl or for any of oh, these drugs. Like shit. he 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 was getting it off the street. They just didn't actually know who was his dealer from you know that he was right. getting it from off the street. Uh, so they they were going to try to charge somebody or their attempt to because that's what they're doing in the Mac Miller situation. Um, but they're they didn't. They can't. They didn't figure out who he was getting it from. There were no reports, so there was nothing really they could do about it. But yeah, he was not getting it from a doctor for sure. And so in this case, that is not exactly what happened of what you were saying with. But I mean, it, it happens so often where so many you know famous people just tell their doctor like, "Oh, I need this, I need that," and then their doctor, you know, wanting to be the cool doctor uh, and be like, "Oh, I, you know, I'm Johnny Depp's doctor. I'm whoever's Michael Jackson's doctor. Whoever they're tr- just trying to please them and do anything that they can to please them. So if someone comes I, in and asks I, so, for whatever drug, then they're just going to give it to them half the time. I don't. Even, I don't even know if it's pleasing at that point because honestly, a lot of what I think that is going on here is, uh, you know, these physicians and uh, people who in power, right, are they're put in a place, a corner, if you'd say." They're put in this spot where they're not getting a lot of money from other things. Yeah. Their job, literally. But they are put into a place where when money, big, big money comes into play, like a grant to do a certain study or a celeb asks about a certain drug or a family times 20 
asks for a drug for their kids to help them with their kids. These physicians, these people that are stuck in a corner where they're not making a lot of money, when this big play comes into the, their world, they jump on it because they go, oh, well, I'm going to continue to have been business from this person. And so, sure, it may not have been Prince's situation, but I think that in, in the big picture with opioids, it is the situation yeah. where you go to your doctor your doctor gives you this drug legally for set amount of years and then takes you off of this drug and you then go and find the drug illegally because you need it like physically you need it you, you yeah. your your body will start to break down um and, and at some point I'd like to mention that right we'll we'll talk about the like withdrawals um, yeah, from opioids because that's a, a really big play into why people keep going back to these things even when they're not prescribed. Oh, them. shit. I should have mentioned that maybe in the misconceptions, myths <laughs> segment. Um, it's fine. We can talk about it in the science. Yeah, we can talk about it in the science. Um, yeah, I do just want right, to mention yeah. a few more people that have died before. Uh, not to go on like a huge thing. I just want to list this really quick before we move on to this next section. So a uh, few more people that have died. Uh, Wilco guitarist Jay Bennett. Three Doors Down guitarist Matt Roberts, Slipknot bassist Paul Gray, Lil Peep. Whoa, what? Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, Whoa, so- that's a shock. What? Oh, no. I, I did know that because Corey, I listened to an interview with Corey Taylor and he is like, I didn't know it was from fentanyl though. I thought it was from alcohol. Uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah. it turns out is fentanyl. And, uh, and then Lil Peep was a mixture Whoa. of fentanyl and Xanax. And then uh, you might know this, Micah, EDM musician Charles Ingalls died from cocaine and fentanyl. So probably like what we were talking wait, about earlier with uh wait. What? Is that is that true? That's what I saw online. Okay, because I'm pretty sure his death hasn't come out yet. Uh really interesting because I read this like a week ago. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually fact check it right yeah, now. Yeah, no, because, let's do that right now. Uh, uh um, he Charles the first, by the way, guys, um you know, huge, huge influence on the electronic music scene, the the experimental bass music scene. Um, you know, just beautiful music. Twenty uh, five year old male um, died recently, back in twenty twenty one. I think it was uh, October, December, uh, or November, December, December tenth. Wow. I believe is uh, is where the article, <sighs> uh, or well, uh, maybe been. Yeah, it says yeah. Des- uh, December tenth is when he was announced dead. Okay. Yeah, that you know, part of part of last year and and I'll just admit to this, part of last year was really hard on me because of this death. Um Charles Ingalls, yeah, you know, Charles Charles the 1st uh did die in his hotel room um before a show uh that he was going to be playing at the Caverns in in Nashville. Um however, you know, Everyone that has talked about it has discussed that, you know, it's possible it was a fentanyl-related death. But I don't remember reading anything that actually discerned that that was exactly how he died. Like, Yeah, I'm reading an I, article I, right I, now that's from March 11th, 2022 that said— uh, that it was a uh, that the Davidson County autopsy and toxicology results released this week show that it was a cocktail of cocaine and fentanyl. Really? Yeah. 
You know, I I I'm honestly sorry to have to uh hear this on this episode because this is actually like I whenever Charles died, uh everyone, I me and everyone else in the community kind of stopped doing what we were doing and um you know, we took it to heart, right? Yeah. Uh this is a lot similar, you know, Ryan, this is I'm glad you you brought it up because Charles's death was a lot like Jerry's death in the Grateful Dead community. Yeah. No, I remember I remember he, when this happened, like you I, I didn't remember that this was this exact person, but I remember when there was a death in all of this or in the EDM community and I remember you were like really fucked up about it for a long time. And I remember, dude. I'm still fucked up about yeah. it. Are you kidding me? I'm going tonight to go see Tai Dai Kai, who's a part of Lab Group, which is uh, Lab Group was a group created by Charles the First Potions and uh, oh gosh, <laughs> Super Task Kyle Bischoff from Bend, Oregon. Uh, these are a, a group of three individuals who are amazing producers in the electronic music scene. But Charles is gone, right? As of yeah. December. And yeah. he he died at 25. That's right? insane. I mean, this this is a child, you know. I, I <laughs> that have, makes me uncomfortable. I have friends who literally are friends with his family. You know, they- He's they, our age. He's That's our age. fucking scary. I- I can't believe I, I can't even tell you guys how many times I've had people come up to me and go, "You look like Charlie, you look like my friend." I wow. used to live in South Lake Tahoe, and he's from Truckee. And no shit, really. I, I think he may have actually been born in Reno, but you know this should be fact checked by my friends in the community. Um, however, Ryan, you mentioned like that it, it's been confirmed that you know his death had to do with fentanyl, and. Um, in the community, a lot of us had an idea, and and the we we assumed that it was a fentanyl overdose uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, when he died before the show that he was going to play at the caverns. But uh, it hadn't been confirmed for months, and I think a lot of us kind of just assumed that it was a fentanyl thing. But you know, there wasn't any confirmation based on autopsy reports. However, the 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 article that you just referenced is a article from Tennessean.com, which uh, I assume is their general local news source in Nashville. Um, and it writes that a individual, an officer, or an autopsy reporter, uh, mentioned that he had cocaine, fentanyl, alprazolam, which is the drug in Xanax, uh, and mitrogynine, which is the chemical in Kratom, uh, in his system. Which... We've talked about already in these past four episodes that mixing opioids and benzodiazepines like Xanax um, and cocaine are fatal. But on their own, yeah. Yeah, well, on their own and, and mixed. Right. Like, like, well, like no, I mean, uh, mixing them just on their own and then you add fentanyl into the, the exactly, mix. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of us, when, when he died in December, we in the community uh, felt that it was probably this situation where he had been doing cocaine uh, in his hotel room and maybe it had fentanyl in it, right? But none sure. of us wanted to make that conclusion because gotcha. 
it's just wrong to make the conclusion about someone's death when you don't know everything about it. And like sure. his mom, for example, his mom didn't come out and say anything about it, as far as I know. And, um, you know, uh, one article saying something about someone's death is not enough for me to believe it. Um, you know, it, say it was me, for example. Um, I died from something and you guys knew about it, but you knew that by talking about it, it would change the view on Micah Brandis, right? Uh, from the general world. So yeah. you guys kept it to yourselves. And, you know, uh, one news source decided to talk about Micah Brandis's death on the internet and, and, and put it out there. I just want to mainly say that, you know, it's, it, it is very, very possible and it is honestly most likely that, yes, he did die from fentanyl. Everyone in our community believes that that is most likely what happened. The uh, You, Me, Us, We event that happened in Colorado uh, was very similar to the wake that happened for Jerry Garcia in San Francisco when he died uh, from a heroin overdose. Um, Actually, I don't think think Jerry died from a heroin overdose. I think he died from from quitting heroin and his body going and his and having a heart attack or something like that is he so that's he went into rehab hum- and completely stopped doing heroin cold turkey and then his, he had a heart attack i believe is how he died oh okay awesome good to know i mean that, that's, that's great <laughs> awesome. <because> i always <laughs> well i mean no no it, it, i'm just happy that maybe you know you changed my mind on stuff because i assumed jerry died from heroin usage um I mean, and he did die from heroin usage, but no, was, he didn't. If he died from a heart attack, he did not die from heroin. Because I, I want to get this yeah. out there just real quick. You, uh, so uh, uh, there's three things that you can die from withdrawals from. So uh, I just want to clear this up because pe- that that kind of misconstrues construes the uh, the fact that it sounds like you can die from uh, heroin withdrawals when there are only three drugs that uh the, the, the golden triangle of things that you can die from withdrawals from that's barbiturates um benzo diazepines and alcohol are the three things that you can ah, die from right interesting from the withdrawals during withdrawal during withdrawals so if he died from something that uh like a heart attack that technically isn't dying from the withdrawal of the drug right ah i see okay interesting yep yeah so uh, mainly what I was trying to mention was like with those events, like the Yumi We was an event where multiple artists and friends and family who, you know, were in Charles's world came together and put on an event uh, with fans in Colorado uh, and, and actually are hoping to do it in many other places, right? Um, one of the things they talked about in the event was harm reduction and how we really need to start getting this to be <laughs> to be less of a thing. I don't right. know how to say that well enough, but we need to reduce the probability of our friends dying from these things. It is a now, pandemic. Now, they mentioned that without there being autopsy reports from Charles's death. So, it was inferred that he died from a fentanyl type, you know what I mean? Like I a sad situation with drugs because everyone in the, uh, that came up to talk would kept saying things like we really need to, you all need to start taking better care of yourselves and you need to start 
being better with harm reduction, we can't keep having this happen to us in our community. Now, I get yeah. what they were saying. They were probably mentioning that you all need to start testing your drugs more, like we talked about in episode two with cocaine, uh, and also carrying Narcan. Now, they were not saying that openly, meaning I, I'm just going to go back to saying like it's very possible that Charles did not die because of fentanyl. It's most likely possible that he died because of fentanyl. I know that sounds weird, but just wanted to put that no, out. No, I get it. Just like for the longest time, I thought that Jerry died because of heroin. And turns out that's not true, right? Yeah. It sounds be- like he died from something completely not related it- to heroin at all. He was a fat individual who had diabetes and ate terribly. Yeah. If he died from a heart yeah. attack, that probably had nothing to do with opioids at all. Well, and the fact that he already had had, uh, did he have a stroke? Stroke? I think it was in 85, I believe, which was 11 years earlier, which is what led to him to lose a lot of weight because he was crazy fat for a while in the the mid 80s, like so just obese and just like out of shape and just not taking care of himself. And then he, for a while, he did take care of himself. And then I think in the mid 90s or early to mid 90s, he started, you know, really fucking like fucking off again and. That that could completely be what it is that he you know that he did die from just being fat and not taking care of his body, right? Like, and I think what Mike is to trying say. to say is just labeling someone's death as a fentanyl overdose with just just because of one news media source can really damage their their uh Im- like their their history like the the image of what that person was just like uh a, just labeling them as a fentanyl death. Which, even though it was very likely, I just don't think it. it it's it's not a hundred percent confirmed. So it's like don't. It, it's just it's hard. It, you shouldn't damage someone's reputation like that. Essentially, my thing yeah. is like until Maybe. the family comes out and says that's what happened, I just don't want to believe it. Right. You yeah. know, because I, I believe what the family said. I have had friends die from suicide, and it wasn't said. Right. That it was suicide. Now. Some of us have just known. Yeah. So, anyways, there's an audio uh, dropout on my end, and uh, yeah. so if I'm not able to edit around that, let's just jump in because we've talked a lot about uh, you know significant figures in culture, and it. I, I feel like you could tell by how elevated we get when talking about it that it's uh, it's really affected all of us, and um, so I think we should kind of drop it for now and um, just move on to uh, science. Let's talk about the science of what's actually going on in your body with an opioid, specifically fentanyl. So uh, we're going to listen to Micah talk to us about science. Get us done learnt. We're going to get hell yeah, dude. Trying to get, trying to get learnt from, from the science man himself, Micah Brandes, the man behind the man behind the, uh, the mirror, or I guess not the man behind the mirror. The man behind the what is it? What is the Wizard of Oz reference? The man behind the, the curtain? Yeah, the man behind the curtain. Yeah, Micah Brand is. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, hello. Hey, <laughs> we're gonna talk about science. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, um, something we all know so much about. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So like, uh, we've we've talked a lot about fentanyl. We've talked a lot about opioids. Uh, these synthetic. Uh, opioid drugs, you know, that affect the brain in the same way that other opioids do. Uh, 
And fentanyl is different, right? It, 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 it's a anomaly when it comes to opioid drugs because of how potent it is. Um, and we talked a lot about how da- Dr. Jansen and his colleagues uh, created um, these piperidine analogs that had a lot of affinity for opioid receptors um, and, and, and hoping that they were lipid-soluble molecules so that they would cross the blood-brain barrier more effectively, essentially creating drugs that could be faster uh, pain relievers, right? Uh, faster acting when you take them, but also like more potent. So less of the drug needs to be used to get this uh, therapeutic index from. So with that, the problem is, is that you can create a drug that becomes deadly, but we didn't really talk about how opioids are deadly, right? Like, I don't think we mentioned that. Well, we, we I did mention uh, that most of the deaths uh, from opioid overdose is respiratory depression, right? Mm. Which so, we definitely should elaborate on. What yeah, that let, means. let's yeah. just yeah. talk a little bit about respiratory depression. So, uh, when people ingest opioids, whether it's via smoking or snorting or orally ingesting a chemical, uh, once these chemicals get into the blood, they reach the blood-brain barrier, and then they go to the brain, and they attach to uh, receptors, right? These little proteins that hang out on neurons and receive chemicals. Uh, We've talked about this in previous episodes, but I really want to mention that like, when it comes to opioids, a lot of what people are uh, used to hearing is the... The term endorphin, right? Uh, endorphins. Uh, you may exercise and feel the endorphins, right? <laughs> the runner's high, right? Uh, these chemicals that uh, a lot of what people are thinking make you feel good when you exercise or uh, ingest an opioid, these endorphins, they, they, these are opioid chemicals, these neurotransmitters, right? They're, they attach to receptors in the brain and as well as in the central nervous system, meaning outside of the brain and within the rest of the system, they attach to receptors that deem their effects. And one of the biggest receptors is the mu mu opioid receptor. Mu is uh, M-U. It's that little gamma symbol, the upside down H. Um, These receptors are widespread throughout the central nervous system. And when drugs attach to these, they produce a very... Uh, analgesic response, a a pain relief response. And um, when it comes to opioids, a lot of the idea of discovering them and and, and trying to manufacture or create a chemical that will attach to these receptors is all about how much affinity does it have to this receptor. Okay, so if I put drug into a Petri dish with these receptors, um, which is possible, right? We, we, We can grow neural stem cells in a dish and we can add a drug to that dish with those neural stem cells and we can see what happens to those those cells that's insane well yeah i mean that's how we discover like if a drug has an affinity for a specific receptor i it, uh, i guess in my it's mind it's all done in a test tube or in a 
petri dish. Right. right. Yeah, I guess I never really Dang. just think about I never think about that. That's completely insane. I assumed it was all human trials. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the thing. A lot of us uh, a lot of us when we hear these biological terms like receptors and central nervous system and 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 whatever. I think of like think, MRIs and shit. Right. We yeah. think that people are being put into brain scans yeah, yeah, or yeah. into somehow cellular scans and uh we discover all these things from. No. Uh, most of this stuff is actually discovered in vitro, which is in a test tube, not in a live organism. So That's put a bunch wild. of stem cells, a bunch of neural cells, a bunch of whatever cells into a dish, add a drug to that dish. Now you can discover a lot of things from just that because you can, you can look at how much the drug uh, binds to a certain receptor in the dish, right? You put a bunch of serotonin receptors in there. You put a bunch of LSD in there. Oh, whoa, LSD attaches to the receptors. Okay, well, same thing happens with these mu opioid receptors. And now, when it comes to opioids, what makes a lot of opioids the most effective is having this, what they call full agonism at a mu opioid receptor. Uh, Meaning what happens is when the drug enters the system, it attaches to this mu opioid receptor and it stays there. It hangs out. It activates the receptor. And interestingly enough, a lot of the fatal and negative outcomes of opioids come down to how much affinity the drug has for these mu opioid receptors. So things like heroin, uh, morphine, and fentanyl all have incredibly high affinity for the mu opioid receptor. They literally just come onto it, they attach, and they start doing their job, and they do it very effectively. So one of the things that I want to bring up when it comes to opioids is that there is a class of drugs that were created to help uh, wean people off of opioids if they were tolerant to them in the first place. Uh, Things like methadone and suboxone, which are generic terms for drugs that are considered partial agonists to the mu opioid receptor, meaning they hang out uh, on the receptor half of the time, right? Or half of the physical ability. So like literally the drug comes on and it sits there, but it's literally only sitting there 50%. Um, Whereas heroin is coming onto that same receptor and it's sitting there 100%. That might not make a lot of sense, but if you think about it in the terms of fatality, um, these drugs that can kill you are sitting there and they're hanging out on this receptor for 100% of the time, and they are causing all these things to happen. Uh, Maybe nausea, right? Uh, Big time. The vomiting that occurs with opioids a lot of the time is what kills people. Yep. From doing them. Yeah. And that's why we talked about like, do not mix opioids with alcohol or other drugs, right? Is because these drugs may end up causing more of a uh, emetic response, the puking response. And you add an opioid with it and boom, now you're fucking sedated and choking on your vomit. Um, Perfect recipe for death. Yeah. Well, That's the thing that I wanted to mainly talk about when it comes down to like the pharmacology of these drugs is that it's incredible what we've discovered. We've discovered synthetic drugs that are so quickly acting on these receptors, these mu opioid receptors. They're providing all this pain relief. They're providing all these good things, right? After surgery, 
after uh, chronic pain, whatever. They're doing all this good stuff. However, you have to take them every day to get this effect. Well, as we know from previous episodes, if you take a drug every single day, uh, you're likely to build a tolerance to it. Well, what happens when you build a tolerance to a drug? Uh, withdrawals, right? Or a physical dependence. Which is a tolerance. Oh, is that, they're the same? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, yeah. So tolerance to a drug typically only comes from whenever your like actual cells in your body have decided that whatever you're giving it is normal. So oh. when you take that away from you, those cells, they go, hey, what the hell? Where is that? Yeah. So the reason that with opioids, like y- you can have this super high tolerance is that most likely if it's a pain relieving drug, you are taking it for pain. You are getting rid of your pain and that's going to take a while. It's a chronic thing. Maybe a month, maybe it's three years. However, when you're done, you're done and you're going to try to just stop taking them. Well, that with opioids, one of the most common effects of trying to get off of opioids is sickness. This is general sickness. It's 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 cold. It's flu. It's, it's runny nose, uh, fever. You know, not being able to sleep at night. Uh, the typical sickness. The, it's described as just the worst flu you'll ever have. Worst flu you'll ever have. However, I really need to make sure that we all understand that opioid dependence is not physical in the sense that when you try to wean off or Stop taking opioids. You will not die from the withdrawal, the physical withdrawal of that drug. You will not die. Right. And and that's something we talked about earlier, right? There are three compounds, families of drugs that will do that to you. Alcohol, benzodiazepines, and barbiturates. Opioids, it's just not going to happen. Tons of people will argue with that and say that that is true, that opioids can kill you within their withdrawal. And that is true because in the sense that People might die from dehydration, right? Or from many other things that may happen from when they're trying to get off of these drugs. Right. However, you will not die when trying to withdraw from opioids. And there are a few chemicals that have been discovered and you know are, are used in treatment for opioid addiction. And that are these are partial agonists at the mu opioid receptor meeting. Instead of like heroin and morphine and fentanyl, they don't hang out all the way 100% on that mu opioid receptor. They hang out about 50% of the time. So mm. like when those drugs attach to that receptor, it's like they're just think of it almost like half of an umbrella. Half of that umbrella is doing its job on that receptor, but the other half just doesn't matter at all. So what happens is you can give someone a drug that still makes them feel okay, and it reduces the uh, uh, intense fever or sickness that they might be feeling, that cold thing we were talking about, to a degree that they can live their life and still do normal things, but they are still dependent on an opioid. Yeah. So it's really sad because things like Kratom or Kratom or whatever you want to call it, that, pl- that plant that you, f- you find at every head shop that you want to buy uh, a new pipe from, right? It's there. It's always around. You see signs for it. Uh, this this is a drug that is something we will have to have like a whole discussion about. Yeah, definitely. But it's actually similar to Suboxone and Methadone. Those two drugs that I mentioned earlier that are used for opioid addiction. 
it's a partial agonist at mu opioid receptors, which makes it completely different than fentanyl, morphine, and heroin in the sense that these drugs that are acting half of the time at this receptor, they can actually be helpful in getting off of the drug that acts 100% of the time at the receptor. Uh, weirdly enough, that sounds wrong. You know, oh, give someone uh, half of the drug almost, you know, that they're doing to, to help them get off that drug. But truly enough, what comes down to the biggest picture of it is that these partial agonists, meaning they partially hang out at these mu opioid receptors, they're not deadly. That's a big part of it. They are not fatal. And so you can take these chemicals and you can actually effectively get off opioids if you're doing it the right way. Right. You know, which would be a huge plan with your psychiatrist and your doctor and all these things to get off this stuff. If you're doing it the right way, it's totally possible. You right. can easily get off of these drugs using these other drugs. However, what it comes down to is like, just remember that pharmaceutical companies, they created these chemicals on purpose. We talked about why fentanyl was created in the first place. Let's make a fast-acting, incredibly potent, pain-relieving drug. Awesome. You created it. Now what? It is also one of the most fast-acting, most powerful addictive drugs. So what do we create to get people off of that? We've tried methadone and suboxone. Have they worked? Sure. Well, I would say no. I would say no. Because giving someone an opioid just to get off an opioid Typic doesn't seem like the best idea. Typically, it seems no. like people who are on methadone or suboxone end up being on it for years, if years. not the rest of their life. Yeah, and yeah. they hate well, it. And they say yeah. all the time that they want to get off of it, but yeah. they can't. Yeah, no, this, uh, I'm not going to name drop, but uh, yeah. Uh, it's been on <laughs> methadone for about three years now instead of doing heroin. And the amount of methadone she takes is absolutely insane. Disgusting, uh, right? It, dude, it's so the a, a dose that would like almost fucking be fatal from like a first first time user without any tolerance is like what 10 to 15 milligrams of methadone, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah, that's like a that's like a large dose for someone that has never done opioids or or doesn't have any tolerance at the time. She takes right. like a hundred milligrams every day. Holy yeah, no. I, so that's the thing. I remember being next to my dad and asking him. Like, I'll admit it. I don't care. I was fucking sixteen at the time when I first met my dad in New York City, and he was like, "Hey, it's like ten in the morning," and he's like, "Hey, we're gonna go to the methadone clinic. Can you please just stand outside?" And wait for me until I'm done. And I said, yeah, sure. Well, 16 me goes, hey, can I try a little bit of that? When he gets it, right? We walk back to the apartment. And I sit there and I go, hey, can I have a little bit of that? He said that no matter, this was a one ounce bottle, tiny little shot, right? Your little five hour energy bottle. Oh, it's liquid? A liquid methadone, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, they gave it to go? Oh, yeah. He, he, the people I've known on methadone had to show up to the clinic, eat in front of them every single day. It depends on the state. It, yeah, yeah, this, 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 this person gets prescribed. Uh, the, the girl I know gets prescribed it, and uh, she just gets, like, she just picks up a bottle of it, and then they just, you know, Whoa. 30 days later go gets more. Oh, yeah. No, most states, I think, just let you leave with it. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it depends if you're in rehab or not, too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So my dad has been actually on fent or fentanyl, <laughs> has been on methadone for, uh, about 20 years. Yeah. Because uh, when I met him when I was 16, it was 15 years that he had been on methadone. Um, and so I asked him if I could have a dose of it 
when I was in New York. And he told me that no matter what I sipped or tried to take out of that bottle, it would kill me. That's so fucked. Now, he could as I just talked about yeah, it, yeah. these partial agonists were de- developed and created to not be deadly, to be helpful to get people off of drugs. And I just told you about a person who I know, a fucking relative, who has been on it for over 15 plus years, 20 years now, yeah. um, and no desire to get off of it, no plan to get off of it. Uh, and if he were to give anyone that he knows a dose of it, they would die. That just seems wrong, you know? For yeah. it, it just feels weird. <laughs> it's super wrong. It's literally like replacing fire with fire. It's yeah, exactly. Like fighting fire with fire. It's It makes absolutely no sense. It, it, especially because, like we talked about, the withdrawals are not deadly. You're not physically dependent on this drug. Uh, I Well, technically, quote-unquote, like, it has a physical dependence. But um, it's it, it just these things where... Like you were saying with Kratom, I actually have met someone who used Kratom to get off of heroin. And they still take Kratom every day, but they, it's like such a lesser extent than something like Suboxone or fucking, uh, what's the other one? Uh, methadone. That, I don't know. It just seems, it, it, I, I, I don't know. It, it, this is a whole conversation for uh, maybe the heroin episode. We could talk yeah, much more maybe deeply. maybe its own... Methadone yeah. episode, Addiction. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just want to say, like, with opiates, it is the scariest addiction. It's probably one of the most addictive, other than meth, chemicals that a lot of people get on. And it's freaking yeah. terrifying to think about. Uh, yeah, I just, okay, so we kind of, we learned the science uh, behind what's going on with these chemicals when you take them. And we we talked about, some famous people and some people that have been just super impactful that have passed away. We've talked about the history and, you know, and I, I think we should just really wrap this up with talking about the like harm reduction just as a whole, when it comes to things like this, uh, there's a lot of people maybe who will listen to this, who are, heroin or fentanyl users and to them i would like to just say like we're not trying to be harsh on anybody like you know yeah, no judgment no at judgment all. at all yeah totally and we've all been you know in weird situations yeah i feel like we've been just like ragging a bunch on just like this kind of substance but honestly like i i don't judge anyone for anything they do, you know? No. As long as you're a good person. Well, and like we said earlier, most of us, I'd say all three of us, I know for a fact all three of us know more than one person who has been affected by the opioid crisis. Yep, yep. And I know that that means that most of our listeners have also been affected by it, so. Right. Yeah. And so when it comes to harm reduction, um, I know most people don't, want to hear someone who's on a substance don't want to hear things like there are clean needle centers because they're you know they know these things hopefully but for the people who don't you know like there are places you can go to get clean needles and not reusing things like that and definitely if you want out there's help to be had well and and, a good example actually to talk about is there's these 
uh, in certain cities and states now, there's safe injection sites right. to go to. Uh, yeah. These are talked about in the news now. Uh, some people are super against it. Some people are super for it. I believe that it's 100% a good thing because yes. a lot of the times these users are uh, veterans, for example, right? And they go to the VA in their city and the VA does not help them with this problem. So they're able to go to these safe injection sites and they're able to uh, safely take heroin or fentanyl or whatever they're doing. Uh, but they're around people that would literally help them get off of it if they wanted to. Yeah. And a lot of the times, that's the thing. These people who are afflicted by this abuse, this this world of drug usage, they don't want to keep doing this. Right. They no. want all the help they can get. But the way that our system in the U.S. has been set up has been really like scoured or like like put in a way that it's entirely hard for these people to actually get help. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is true. So it's it's kind of hard to say, like, reach out for help because um, <laughs> the U.S. is a horrible place for a drug user, especially yeah, someone who's profiting, addicted to drugs. They're profiting off of people being addicted to drugs. Do you know how much money it costs to go to rehab these days? It's fucking insane. Oh well, it's just like God. in the beginning of our episode, like our, 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 our intro says, you know, drug abuse costs your average American, like what, $7 billion a year? Or, right. No, I mean, that's crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a lot of money, okay? Yeah, it is a lot of money. Dude, and, drug and abuse so costs think your average be American resources. like, Dude, drug abuse costs your average American like thirty gazillion dollars a year, dude. Easily, <laughs> dude, at least, so you would think there would be uh, better resources for people that need help. But like Micah was saying, a lot of these people don't want help. They want to keep using their drugs. And I, 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 if you want to keep doing it, I believe, do what you want to do. You know, go out, and live your life. I'm no one to judge. Uh, but I think there should be clean injection sites. There should be needle. Uh, drop boxes all over every city. People are going to do what they want to do at the end of the day. So yeah. why not make it a safer environment for everybody? You're not going to stop these people from using their substances. You're not going to stop me from using my substances. Like People are going to do what the hell they want to do. So why not make it a safe environment for everybody? People go into cities and they're like, oh my God, there's needles everywhere. Okay, put freaking needle depositories. Like, would, yeah. like people are going to do what they want to do, especially in Portland. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, oh, I yeah. completely agree with that. I think... I agree with all of that. Do whatever you want to do, whatever drug you want to do, as long as you are not harming other people or the environment or the 100%. general public. Do whatever you want to do to yourself, but not your surroundings. Yep. Yep. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other thing uh, it will end up on harm reduction right here is NAR can I just, it almost seems like everyone should just have, it, it should be like mace, you know, like you, you're protecting yep. yourself from other people. Well, you should always have a can of Narcan on you. Like, yeah. Or, right. yeah. No, no. So that's the thing is Narcan is a generic name for the drug naloxone. Uh, what naloxone does is it pretty much blocks the effect that opioid drugs like heroin, fentanyl, morphine have on the opioid receptor. So essentially what it does is it comes in whenever those drugs are trying to attach to that mu opioid receptor I talked about earlier, uh, it comes in and it says no. Like it sits there and it hangs out in between the receptor and that drug and it blocks it, blocks the drug from doing that thing. So essentially what happens if you give Narcan or naloxone to a individual who is addicted to opioids, 
they're going to go through instant withdrawal. Oh my God, they're going to be so sick. It's going to be the most pain and the most, it, it will be one of the most intense things they've ever experienced. Yeah. But it will probably, most likely will save their life. Yep. Now, yeah. the sad thing with fentanyl is that, like, yes, Narcan, naloxone, the drug, it's an opioid blocker, right? Antagonist. So what it does is it comes onto the receptor and it does the opposite of what opioids do. Um, it blocks the effect. So if you were to give that to someone on heroin, mm, they're probably going to have a tough time. You give that to someone on fentanyl, way oh, more of a tough time. Yeah. That process of them getting off of it is going to just be incredibly hard. However, it's going to be a lot quicker than a normal withdrawal. Like if they were just trying to get off of it naturally, um, you know, through a lowering the dosage, you know, titration type response. Right. Uh, However, Narcan will save lives. That's one of the biggest myths is that Narcan can't save lives when it comes to fentanyl. That, that is one of those oh, myths yeah, out there. I, is that I, I, like I that, if yeah. you were to Narcan someone and they were on fentanyl, they're not gonna. It's not gonna work. That's not true. Yeah, it's a bunch of malarkey. EMTs have had to use three to four times the normal amount of Narcan, which even Narcan I, at, at at a certain point is not safe to give to somebody. No, like above like two. I thought. Yep. Like because oh, I like, didn't know that because they're like portioned out. Like you're not supposed to give anyone more than two. Well, I've heard. Uh, I've, I've heard. Um, uh, people talk about who have gotten Narcan before that they've got given to who are active users and had the worst uh, withdrawals like immediately. They say once they come to immediate sweat, hot as hell. And then it's it feels like an amphetamine is what yep. people say that get Narcan. And, uh, it, and anything above two, once they're not receptive to that, I think can actually be more harmful than good. Yeah, right. So, like, narcanning someone who isn't addicted to opioids, um, you know, is is not going to be deadly. It's just, it's going to be something that you should never have done to that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, essentially, like, what it is, is it's just an opioid blocker. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, uh, the all these pain chemicals in your brain, all these, all these... Uh, feel good chemicals in your brain are literally being blocked off so quickly that um, yeah, it, it's gonna put someone in, into instant withdrawal. And if it puts, it, say, you Narcan someone who didn't actually like that officer, for example, at the beginning of the episode, if right. that guy didn't actually have fentanyl in his system and they Narcaned him, bet you oh anything that felt like shit. But <laughs> yeah. it didn't really yeah. feel like a typical opioid withdrawal. Instead, it felt more like he was actually being given something that induced pain. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, for no reason. <laughs> so yeah, Nar- Narcan is like, yes, it is one of the most effective things. Everyone should now have a nasal spray Narcan or a uh, injection Narcan on them if they're using recreational drugs like cocaine, MDMA, uh, meth, whatever. Um, if they're using these drugs, they should have Narcan on them. But at the same time, yeah, if you Narcan your friend and they didn't have opioids in their system. They're going to be mad at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for not even necessarily saving their life, but just because it did not feel good. <laughs> yeah. And well, all. I think with the statistic that we talked about, 70,000 people plus in the last two years have died from fentanyl and fentanyl related uh, deaths. Uh, I think it's, it's safe to say that's more people than COVID. So I think it is safe to say if we're all wearing masks, 
why are we not all carrying fe- uh, Narcan? Narcan, absolutely. <laughs> and honestly, it, even even though we've just talked about Narcan and like opioid overdoses and everything, I think one of the biggest things that we should talk about is what does an opioid overdose look like? Yeah. When when do you yeah, know I, when to use true. Narcan? Uh, someone's unconscious, non-responsive, non-responsive, but at the same time, itching, maybe slurring their words. You saw that they weren't actually drinking a lot, right? And they got to a point that looked like they were incredibly drunk. Yeah, like if yeah. this person is sitting there and falling asleep on themselves at a party where everyone else is not asleep, right? It might be a good idea to either Narcan this individual or call nine one one. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though you may feel like you might be the the asshole of the party. It is so much more worth it to save one individual, even if they're not your friend, that potentially have your house or your friend's house that you were partying at be the house that that kid died. That at. kid died at. Yeah. So yeah. honestly, it's it, it's about unresponsiveness. It's about if this person looks like they are not at all there, especially anymore. if you watch them do. A drug. A drug, say cocaine at a party. And then, and then if they're unresponsive, they didn't do cocaine. Or maybe they did, but it's mixed with fat and it's sure. like uh, Narcan them. And as we talked about in episode two, a lot of the times when people are doing cocaine, they're doing it with things like alcohol. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest harm reduction things with opioids that we should mention is like, oh do not mix opioids with alcohol. That's when it becomes or extreme, any, any central deadly. nervous system depressant. Xanax, mm-hmm. alcohol, whatever. Just like yeah. Raven was saying, it, it, it literally becomes like that is the drug, that is the combo that you will die on. So I want to yeah. mention, just since you mentioned that, last thing is uh, with opioids. I mentioned earlier that you almost cannot die from smoking heroin. The few reported deaths, very, very few, it was reported that they were also drinking alcohol while yep. smoking heroin. Because the effects, the respiratory defect, uh, effects mixed with the alcohol is a fatal combination. So if you, yep. so, and that's what makes it so much more scary. If someone's doing cocaine and drinking, and then there's a little bit of fentanyl, that is just an absolutely terrifying combination. It's literally a yeah. recipe for death. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, like, it, and if you're going to be doing any kind of opiate, even after listening to this episode, which I don't know how you could, don't drink. It, it, it might be the thing that drink that- or ketamine or benzos <laughs> or anything. If you're someone who's taking a prescription drug uh, that may say don't use this with MAOI. Oh yeah, like grapefruit juice, for right. example. No, that's a big deal. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of your prescription drugs might say do not take with an MAOI, like grapefruit juice. Literally. Do not take your opioids if you're prescribed them with anything else. Like, just don't do it. With food yeah. is fine, but grapefruit juice and, <laughs> and Xanax and alcohol yeah. and all these other drugs, just don't do it. Do not mix them. Yeah. Just yeah. be smart out there, people. And I feel like we're at the end of every episode, we just we 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 just go so hard on just uh, be smart out there. But I'm serious. I don't want to see any more people dying. I'm drugs. over it. I, Dude, I'm absolutely same. over it. I'm super over it. And I am. And that's the thing. We're all advocates for drugs. But at the same yeah. time, we're overseeing people die. Be responsible. Yep. It's not a responsible time to be doing drugs. No, it isn't. No, no it's not. this is the worst time to be doing drugs. Be as safe as you possibly can. If you there's are no going FOMO. to be, there's no what? 
There, FOMO. Th- there's no FOMO right now. There's no fear of missing out when it comes to doing drugs. You're not missing oh, out on no, dying. No, 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 no. This is not the Absolutely. 80s. No. You shouldn't have to have an additional drug created by our pharmaceutical companies, Narcan, just so that you can enjoy your night out with your friends. Right. Yeah. You know, it sucks. <laughs> We're turning it into that. 100%. <laughs> The reality. <laughs> We're turning into that commercial that it's like, what's the cost that I see on YouTube I, all the time? That's I like, don't give a fuck, man. That's someone pulling their pipe out of the toilet to like smoke their weed or whatever. But it's like, okay, that that was me in like fucking high school. That now Wait, you guys don't do that? to save your life. We've all smoked out of an Arizona can. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's for the, sure. Dude, mango price? all day, boy. <laughs> Dude, that Green tea, is, motherfucker. That commercial is so stupid. It's like it's like stealing five dollars out of your mom's purse. It's so it's like no. What's the price of doing drugs nowadays? You die. Your life is yeah. the price. Yeah. Be fucking safe. Yeah. Buy yeah, your seriously. Narcan. Tell your friends about it. You know what I mean? Like educate your friends. I just had this experience last night of arguing people yeah tell your friends about the podcast educate your friends i had an experience last (laughs) night me personally where i was at a bar and someone was asking me about drugs because they knew about the podcast and then people came up to me and tried to argue their old views that are ignorant and dumb there's a lot of people who are not educated educate them tell them about the podcast learn be safe enjoy yourself and that and that's (laughs) the thing is like we literally need to start talking about the drugs that other people in this community don't really know that much about and want to spread misinformation about. So in the next episode, episode five, we're going to talk about beep.